Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. You can find us on Twitter at political underscore beats. We also invite you to subscribe to our feed for new episodes, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, they'll come right to you, or go to nationalreview.com. Click on the podcast tab, you'll find all the fine National Review podcasts, including back episodes and fresh episodes of this one right here, Political Beats. My name is Scott Bertram. Find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. And my co-host standing by, as always, is Jeff Blair. Jeff, how are you doing? I have to tell you, I'm doing a lot better, Scott, since we came up with our new arrangement where I would record these genius episodes of Political Beats at home, and then you would go out on the road and hawk them for me. But what if they become really complicated? Well, listen, are you questioning the genius of Political Beats? <laughs> Jeff is also in the spirit of today's episode because he only has one ear working, one earpiece <laughs> working on his headset. So, Scott, Scott, I see you're not wearing your fire engine hat. What's wrong? <laughs> Find Jeff on Twitter at EsotericCD. And our guest for today's program is a return guest. He is former editor-in-chief, current editor-at-large of Reason Magazine, co-host of the We The Fifth podcast at We The Fifth on uh, Twitter. And at Matt Welch on Twitter, because his name is Matt Welch. Matt, welcome back to Political Beats. It is, uh, it's an honor to be back twice, and it's an honor to be back uh, at, the, uh, at the scene of the original Game Theory thread on Twitter <laughs> that made this all possible. That's right. Wow, we've really come full circle. Yeah. I feel like it. I feel like we have. You don't know how much that set me off on my own personal uh, tailspin of uh, music exploration. <laughs> tailspin. It sounds like I'm ruining lives here or something like that. <laughs> no, uh, it's uh, because of your Beach Boys thread, I am now, as we speak right now, wearing Beatles socks. <laughs> um, I know that doesn't make any sense, um, but it makes, uh, it makes a certain form of sense, I suppose. I, uh, your original uh, Beach Boys thread, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on this pro program, this episode, presumably because I know a little bit about the Beach Boys. Uh, but it, you know, like the classic Jeff form, it taught me stuff I didn't know. It was amazing. Just like it's one of the only good things to ever come of the accursed form of social media that we all suffer through uh, was this thing. And so um, I went back, I, I, I was make, in the midst of making a big mixtape for a friend or kind of a mixed playlist for on Spotify of uh, Beach Boys songs uh, by uh, Era. And then I thought to myself, you know what I really want to use these newfangled technologies for is to um, look at sort of the context of the Beach Boys and the recording uh, of the time. And that got me to the Beatles and it got me in filling in, make, creating Beatles uh, solo albums, pretending they never broke up and creating uh, albums by year <laughs> in the 70s as they progress, which is really yes, fun. You shared those lists with me, actually. Uh, exercise to do um and then uh and then i this that process got so involved that my uh my daughters started freaking out on me and like uh buying me john lennon pins and uh, uh the, my youngest daughter got into the beat bugs uh and it's all kind of because of that original uh thing to sort of look into the context of music between the years of 1962 and 1970 you know four or five or so when both of those bands are particular were creative uh, and and it put out an amazing and weird amount of output as technology and culture and life was changing all over the world. Time is limited today. If you want to know more about Matt Welch, you can head to the REM episode where he describes his entire journey. But I think for our purposes today, as uh, Matt alluded to, it's the Beach Boys and uh, part one of two. We break this into two parts 
for our listeners. And uh, Matt, if you just want to continue uh, taking the floor and tell us a bit about uh, how you got into the Beach Boys, I mean, besides Jeff's thread, of course, uh, <laughs> and uh, why you like them and why people should care about the Beach Boys. They are they uh, reward of interest, like intellectual interest, even non-musical interest, more than just about any uh, American band or uh, or other band. I mean, there's the Beatles who are like uh, stand uh, toward everything, like Colossi. But uh, the Beach Boys are so weird. Their story is so weird. I didn't grow up a Beach Boys fan. I didn't have to because I'm from um, North Long Beach, California, which is not that far from Hawthorne in the South Bay from which they emanate. It was all around me. I played in a band in high school. We didn't play any Beach Boys songs, but we played uh, venture songs. We played surf music, mm -hmm. instrumental surf music uh, that came of the time uh, that the Beach Boys were rising. The Southern California was producing all of this great kind of homebrew garage bands, literally in the late 50s and early 60s. Um, that the Beach Boys uh, uh, kind of added this huge four freshman vocal overlay to it. So it was around me. The moment that uh, the two moments that really like uh, turned me into a fan was at some point I came upon this great book called Heroes and Villains, <laughs> which of all like filthy rock biographies, <laughs> especially if you don't know a whole lot about the backstory of the Beach Boys, uh, you're just jaws on the floor for the kind of personal degradation and the craziness and the Charles Manson and everything else that's uh, popping up and down through throughout this life story. So that freaked me out. And then uh, when I was living in Prague in the early 90s, um, uh, a friend of mine who was a uh, Beach Boys super fan uh, came to visit me. I was in the hospital. I'd hurt my back. Uh, and so I was uh, hooked up on like morphine drip in the middle of December in like bleak 1993 uh, uh, Prague overlooking a cemetery that with uh, dirt stuff. And he just sort of comes in wordlessly. He's this Native American guy, big dude, like the chief from uh from one floor was the cuckoo's nest uh <laughs> and he puts down a uh a ghetto blaster as we used to call them um hits the tape and said it's time that you listen to this and that was my first introduction to pet sounds right now you think that she's perfection this time is really an exception well you know i hate to be a downer but i'm the guy she left before he's And I had heard some of those songs over the years, but I'd never uh, heard that piece of music in its entirety, let alone hooked up to a morphine machine in a Wilkie Cemetery. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm in. I'm totally hooked. And for the duration of uh, my time in Eastern Europe, which lasted until the uh, late 90s, uh, I missed the weather of California and the vibe of it and the Beach Boys were my vehicle for mourning and pining to move back to my ancestral home, which I uh, then did right thereafter. Okay, 
when I was a young kid growing up, I didn't care about the Beach Boys. I knew who they were, but I didn't care about them. And then when I got into, you know, into high school, when I got into the Beatles, then I was indifferent to them because I was focused on the Beatles and the Stones and the Who. And then when I finally rediscovered the Beach Boys, you know, not just the fun, 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 I get around little deuce coop stuff that you heard on the radio, but the rest of their discography, I suddenly became one of those people who has a huge chip on their shoulder about the Beach Boys. And I guess I have to say I kind of remain like that to this day. When I say I have a chip on my shoulder about them, I mean that it, it, it bugs me. It genuinely bugs me that people don't realize just how great a band this was. That if they think about them, they think about those early surfing and car songs, or they think maybe about pet sounds. If they're more informed, they think about Smile and the great lost masterpiece that is Smile, which, by the way, actually lives up to its hype as a great lost masterpiece that isn't really that lost anymore but what they don't realize is that this was not just a band that had like a few nice spots and a lot of really crazy backstory to go along with it what was a great group through and through and was an actual group it wasn't just brian wilson lone genius doing everything for this band uh it was actually a collaboration in a lot of ways although there's absolutely no reason no way that we can overplay the importance the centrality of brian wilson to the group's you know importance the group's musical contributions particularly in this early era that we're going to be talking about um so I, i became evangelical about them and of course that's why i did that silly game theory through now, also to make fun of Eric Garland, but but I, I was literally I was just like, well, I was like, what's the silliest thing that I could do that would be like a hundred and eighty-seven long, <laughs> you know, Twitter thread? And I was like, well, screw it, this is the you know the thirty-fifth anniversary of Surf and Safari, let's do that. And I just did the Beach Boys instead. And all of a sudden, as I started doing it, it was like the boulder rolling down the hill. <laughs> it gained momentum, and I was I really got into it, and I just realized how much I loved this music all over again. Uh, so it gives me such pleasure to talk about the Beach Boys. Uh, what is it about them that appeals to me? Well, obviously, as a singer, the vocal harmonies are non-pareil. There's this is a simple truth. There was never a greater vocal group in the history of pop or rock music. There isn't one. The Beatles had just some of the best harmonies out there. A lot of other great bands are known for excellent harmonies, whether they're ragged harmonies along the lines of, say, you know, the band, or even if they're like perfectly orchestrated, you know, well-harmonized stuff like Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Nobody's sound was like the Beach Boys. But of course, it's more than just the harmonies. It's also the brilliant musical mind of brian wilson the word genius gets tossed around so often in rock music and in rock music i think ultimately and i'm guilty of this myself sometimes it's misapplied or sometimes it's used hyperbolically brian wilson was an actual musical genius you know is he still to this day i don't know i think genius is something that sometimes will flicker off over time that, that and maybe it burns itself out that maybe especially in the case of the beach boys you could make an argument that <clears throat> you have a great efflorescence and then you're never quite what you used to be even if there's still an, a glimmering ember that remains but during his his period of true greatness brian wilson was an authentic musical genius not a lyrical genius he was never really quite comfortable writing lyrics and so whenever he does them himself things can get a little bit weird um <laughs> yeah go listen to like busy doing nothing off of 2020 um 
but his musical instincts, his instincts to not only take everything that he had heard in popular music, the Burt Bacharach, the Phil Spector, but also in classical music and in you know everything around him and then come up with something new and different. To hear sounds that made no sense, to hear instrumentational choices that made no sense, get them together in the studio and say, no, do it this way. I want you to play that note that sounds incorrect because I guarantee you when everything's done, it will sound right and have him be proven correct. That's a musical genius that very few people ever have and will ever have. And I don't really know if anybody else I can think of in you know that era had. I don't know if I could say that Paul McCartney was like that. Paul McCartney had many other kinds of musical genius that you can attribute to him. Uh, but he wasn't like Brian Wilson, and nobody was ever quite like Brian Wilson. There are a hundred other reasons I love the Beach Boys, but I think we'll probably get to those as we discuss their discography. So I guess just to set the scene, this is a story that if you don't know, you gotta go, you gotta go read about it. As as uh, Matt said, you know, pick up a biography, Heroes and Villains is one. There's a ton of them out there. This is a crazy scene, but what you really basically need to know is that in the early 1960s, you have three brothers from Southern California, from Orange County, California. Bap, 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 bap. What? No, South Bay, Los Angeles County. Oh, I'm, South, oh I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm sensitive to the Orange County line living on it. Ah. I'm on the correct side along with the Beach Boys. Well, this is why we have a ringer here, okay? Because we need a Californian here to correct my, my, my East Coast Chicago misapprehensions. So you have these guys you know, from South Bay, Los Angeles, Los Angeles County, California, SoCal. Uh, three brothers, uh, Carl Wilson. Dennis Wilson. Dennis is the youngest. Carl is the middle child. And the oldest brother is Brian, Brian Wilson. And they love to sing harmonies. And they're taught by their father, a man named Murray Wilson, who is, in fact, a monstrous person, an abusive, monstrous human being who, who treated them terribly, beat them, um, was, was cruel and abusive to his wife as well. Just a horrible person, human being all around. And this is, I think, a lot of people say it plays a huge role in sort of Brian's overall psychological fragility um but he did teach them to sing and he, and he had connections to the music business so what do they do they get together with their cousin a guy named mike love um and yeah you thought mike love was a pseudonym no his last name was really love how would you like to be mr love in high school i, I feel like you know you, you couldn't help but be popular it could be dr love. love later on i suppose I, I, I guess so and then they they have a friend uh from high school a friend of brian's guy named al jardine uh, who's in the band early on. Then he drops out. They get another friend, guy named David Marks, who doesn't really matter too much to the story. Al comes back for the glory years, and he becomes basically the the key fifth member of this band. And what do they start doing? They start recording home demos. What do they want to do? It Well, Dennis, the, the youngest brother, is really into this local thing. This is hard for people to realize at this time, in 2019. But in 1961, surfing was like this very obscure like, you know, localized sport that was only done by people in Southern California and in Hawaii. Nobody else knew what it was. Nobody else knew the first thing about it because it was, you know, but what is anybody in Iowa going to care about surfing for crying out loud? This is a very, you know, it's a sport with limited appeal for obvious reasons. But Dennis said, hey, you know, what? why don't we record a song about this new thing that me and my friends are doing? It's called surfing. It's really cool. And so Brian was like, oh, all right. You know, Brian Wilson famously like uh, you know, afraid of the water, not really a fan of the ocean, uh, not really a surfer, not really an athletic type in any way. <laughs> but he's like, OK, we can do that. And so they do. They record in 1961, October of 1961. 
1951. They record their first song. It becomes their first single. And they record it like, you know, for on spec for a couple of bucks at a local studio. And it's a song called Surfing. Surfing is the only life, the only way for me now. Surf. Surf. With me. Bob, dip, 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 bob, dip, dip. I got up this morning, turned on my radio. I was checking out the surfing scene to see if I would go. And when the DJ tells me that the surfing is fine, that's when I know my baby and I will have a good time. Surfing is, if you ask me, not really that great of a song, but it was their first something of a hit single, bubbled underneath the charts, very low level. And so it got them some attention. They had connections in the Hollywood scene of the record business. And so what do they do? They recorded a few more demos. They somehow managed to finagle themselves a record contract. What do they do? They go in and they record their first album. And this is the other thing that's important to realize. This is before the Beatles. They, they're recording this in early 1962 and it was, comes out I think like in October of 62 and the album is called Surf and Safari and you know anything about the Beach Boys you probably know the title track you may well know Surfing you may well know 409 but uh, as far as the greatest moments of the Beach Boys career I think it's safe to say this is not one of them <laughs> this is this is a funny footnote. This is this is their their goofy high school f- yearbook photograph equivalent. Uh, it, it it's not really one that I think you know we need to spend too much time on, except to note that it was the start for the Beach Boys. The uh, there's a couple a, a couple of tiny moments that are kind of foreshadowing what happens before. Uh, Brian Wilson will talk about this when we talk about Surfing USA, which is the follow up. He referred to Surfing Safari the record as practice <laughs> which uh, it sounds like practice they sound like a pretty good gimmick band uh with a bunch of gimmicky songs 10 little indians uh you know a little county fair uh how right. white is it when when they do the the 10 little indians oh and they actually god. do like they do the <laughs> oh yeah oh my gosh so bad uh, america used to be even more embarrassing than american is now uh there's uh uh uh, a gimmick song called Cuckoo Clock, however, that I would uh, uh, point people out because that's a pretty darn good melody. It's about a cuckoo clock interrupting, you know, a teenage uh, amorousness on a couch. And, uh, and you know, they say cuckoo and it's bad. But the melody itself is the beginning of, hey, wait a second, this guy's writing a pretty good melody. And there's a catchy ass organ solo. It's a right. couple of like super little tasty organ bits here. Also on Chugalug. Um, <laughs> yes, I was, was going to talk about this. Go Chugalug. Uh, okay, well, the name of the song is called Chugalug. And it opens, first of all, stupid name. And, and it opens with the here a mug, there a mug, everybody <laughs> Chugalug. That's, that's the big hook. And what is it they're chugging? You might think, ah, oh, these rowdy teenagers, they must be, you know, down in beers. No, no, this, this literally, the hook by Mike Love is give me that root beer. This is a song <laughs> about chugging root beer. This could not be more white bread or safe or completely devoid of any rough edges whatsoever you hear it and you just actually it's worth it just to hear it because you'll laugh when you realize these people are singing very sincerely about down and root beers here a mug there a mug everybody chug a lug here a mug there a mug everybody chug a lug gary likes a girl's tight black pants larry knows he doesn't stand a chance carl says hurry up and order it quick Dennis wonders what's under the hood. A big chrome tag and it sounds real good. But I go down to the root beer stand. 
It's uh, it's ridiculous. The uh, uh, the other uh, uh, thing that uh, sticks out compared to the rest of their history uh, on some level is a song called Little Miss America. It's a Herb Albert tune. Um, it's kind of 50s crooner type of, uh, you know, semi Roy Orbison, the song or or uh, even uh, Neil Sedaka and Dennis Wilson, the very good looking, super handsome. You ended up in a, a, a movie or two in the, in the early 70s and had his own tragic story, which we'll get into. Um uh, he sings. This is his first singing, and it sounds nothing like uh, how he sings for the rest of his career. It's really sort of like <laughs> this kind of teenage uh, Neil Sedaka type of uh, yeah, uh, crooning. And within a couple of years, his voice through really bad living <laughs> becomes pretty damned wrecked and also very better. distinctive. And, and becomes and, much better. <laughs> and much better. Yeah. Yes. But uh, yeah, you listen to Dennis, you're like, who the hell is that guy singing his songs? He sounds uh, like he sounds like all of the six. 16 years of age that he was is what it is basically yeah that's a that's a thing that we should keep in mind this comes out in october of 1962 uh brian wilson was born in 1942 and he's the oldest david so this this first record is a bunch of teenagers yeah Yeah. david David marks is 13 years old Um, 13 their guitar their lead guitarist wait a second really yeah. yeah, he was thirteen. He was yeah. thirteen. He was thirteen years old, man. Holy crap. And they brought him back on their fiftieth anniversary. Uh, yes, they did. Yes, they did. Yes, they yeah. did. He was the youngster. <laughs> so, Scott, any thoughts? No, I mean this is this is uh, you guys covered things pretty well. The, the one, you know, four hundred nine's on here too, which I think Jeff mentioned. People people know four hundred nine, but it's it's uh, it's surfing and root beer and a little muscle car and. Um, I do a cover of Moondog, which is an early, early surf song, which is decent. Um, one of the ones that hasn't been mentioned yet that I don't mind is uh, Heads You Win, Tails I Lose. It's okay. Um, it's about how they settle arguments. It includes the, the line, why can't we arbitrarily resolve a fight? That's that, true. That's a lyric. They somehow fit that in. Um, <laughs> the, 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 uh, they're young. They're just starting. And there's not a lot to truly recommend here outside of what you might know, which is Surf and Safari and, and 409. And, and uh, Cuckoo Clock's not bad, as, as Matt mentioned. But uh, this is the beginning of an unbelievably productive time uh, by force in, 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 in many cases. But this is the, this is when Brian Wilson and and the rest of the Beach Boys are begin to churn out music at an extremely high pace, which means quality control is not always high. But we'll we'll talk about that in a bit. Okay, so Surf and Safari actually did fairly well for basically a bunch of studio demos made by teenagers. It got to I think the, into the thirties, like the high thirties on the Billboard charts. And Surf and Safari, the single itself, was a hit. I got to like you know top twenty or something like that. So, you know, guess what? You're cleared to make another album. But you would have thought, just as likely as anything else, that this is going to just be a novelty thing, this surfing thing, this surfing craze. It's not really going to be amount to much. And in fact, they thought that too, which is probably why you see them branching out soon into another genre of music. Um, but they were wrong because what happens next? The next, the next Beach Boys album is named after the next Beach Boys single, and that next Beach Boys single is probably one of the most famous '60s rock songs ever. It's called "Surfing USA," and God, I don't know how you can claim to like even 
the slightest bit of pre-Beatles rock and roll, American rock and roll, and not like Surfing USA because it's a magnificent song. It's got a great lyric. It's got these really clever in-group like references to all these various like surfing spots in like California, like Ventura County and you know Santa Cruz and stuff, Del Mar and places that I've never been to, but I can recognize as like, oh, these are the nice surfing hotspots. The only problem with it, unfortunately, is that it's actually a Chuck Berry song. Uh, and this is this is the thing. Brian Wilson, genius though he was, was still a rather young and gawky teenager and was feeling his way towards his conceits. And so what did he do with Surfing USA? He literally took the, the, the music wholesale from one of Chuck's most famous songs. In fact, I think it was his greatest commercial hit, a song called Sweet Little Sixteen. If wow, you haven't heard Sweet Little Sixteen... Dingling. It's it's identical. It's not it's not just like a close nick the way like Help Me Rhonda kind of sounds a lot like Buster Brown's Fannie Mae. No, no, no. Surfing USA is Sweet Little Sixteen with new words. Mm-hmm. And yet I find it hard to hold it too much against them because when I listen to that first that opening lick, you know, do 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 and if everybody had an ocean across the USA, then everyone be surfing like California IA. And that's the moment in which surfing became a national thing. That's the moment where people in like Washington D.C. cared about what surfing might be, or people in Chicago or like Middle America, landlocked America, could like relate to this because they cast it in that almost that they make it a state of mind. I always actually heard that song. The opening lyric to the Surfing USA is "If everybody had a notion." <laughs> instead of and everybody had an ocean which makes it even better like you know the surfing mindset it, it's just a state of mind man you could be surfing in yeah. des moines if, if you only, do it in your heart yeah if only you knew right if only you knew As for the rest of this album, again, this is this is early Beach Boys. It's weak. There's there's not a lot to recommend it, but there are again there are hints where things are going. There are two songs on this that are, that are written by Brian Wilson that are actually written by him and not stolen from Chuck Berry. Uh, that really do show the way forward. I think one of those is Farmer's Daughter, which the which Fleetwood Mac actually covered later on uh, on their live album in 1979. It's a really good song, and I also really love Lonely Sea, which is a very creepy, almost you know morbidly dark song i always feel like it's like somebody who's like drowning her like like on a piece of driftwood in the middle of a vast ocean and that's the lonely sea and it's sung in those terms it's a really good song but for as for the rest of this well you know they're shut down pretty good song and a harbinger of things to come but there isn't too much that you need to worry about let me just the, talk, uh, go ahead i'll just talk lonely sea for a minute because i think it's the one Oh, it's Surfing USA, sure, but I think Lonely Sea is the one other track on the album that really rises to the level of great. I I think it is a great song, Uh, and sort of a first glimpse at what Brian 
Wilson would do. It's kind of you know, it's kind of moody. It's it's kind of sensitive. Um, o- uh, Brian's opening vocals has just a very haunting quality in that falsetto. Of course, he would use throughout his career. Um, the song "Standing on the Shore" as, as the waves rolled in. The only part that you ding it for there's this this brief spoken word section oh. uh, for a couple bars in the middle, and yeah, that does yeah. not work at all. But the rest of it, I think, is pretty high quality. The lonely sea. It never stops for you or me. It moves love from day. And around this era, you know, all the albums have this kind of, you know, this is the album that blank. This is the album that has all the instrumentals, five instrumentals on the album, um, which I think the best thing I say about those is it actually proves, and we'd, we'd hear it later too, Carl Wilson, pretty darn good guitar player. Um, yeah. And one of the guys who would actually still get to play on a lot of Beach Boys stuff, even when Brian was using the Wrecking Crew and, and some of the session players. Uh, and he, he's pretty good on, on the instrumentals on the album. And this, you know, just kind of perspective-wise, timing-wise, this is all still prior to the British invasion. You know, it's pre-Beatles stuff. It's 1963. Uh, and this would go to number two on the charts. It would stay on the charts for 78 weeks. They'd sell a bunch of copies of Surfing USA, even as more albums and newer albums would come out. Uh, but yeah, from here, um, uh, Finders Keepers is is decent. I hear a lot of foreshadowing on Finders Keepers. I hear a little bit of like Little Deuce Coop. I hear a little bit of maybe I Get Around. I hear some of Dead Man's Curve, which is uh, Jan and Dean's which song. Is, but, it feels like a Beach Boys song, even if it's yes. a Jan and Dean's song. Well, right, yeah. Brian co-wrote that at least a little bit on Dead Man's Curve, and I hear some of that in Finders Keepers too. But you know, Surfing USA, Lonely Sea, those are the ones that kind of take away, I think, from this al- album. Uh, to be in vigorous agreement uh, with you both, uh, I, I sometimes look at the the uh, truly like productive peak career of uh, Brian Wilson in particular uh, to in the Brian Wilson uh, Beach Boys era to be starting with Lonely Sea uh, and ending with Till I Die. Um, both of which are meditations about the ocean. Hmm. Uh, one is a foreshadowing, and the second one is a is a, a self funeral. <laughs> it's uh, it's really one of the most grim and beautiful uh, songs. It's when he's speaking about ocean as metaphor, which you know, it, if you're going to be overly marinating yourself into early Beach Boys, Beach Boys through mid 1965, um, you're going to have to figure out your sense of tolerance for surfing and for cars. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just a thing. I like parties on the beach. Um, yeah, I'm from California, so I, you know, I like those things. Uh, yeah. But you're, you kind of are, are, are nudging them, please go to the metaphor. <laughs> please make it a bigger <laughs> story about the warmth of the sun and some other things. And so I'm, right. that, that's one of the great things about Lonely Sea. The, the, the sonic difference between Surfing USA as an album and as a song, since it let, uh, 
leads off the record. Um, I mean, just listen to uh, Surf and Safari and then Surf and USA, the two songs back to back. It's it's unbelievable. Surf and Safari has always seemed to be like a real Mickey Mouse kind of sound. You know, We're loading up there, Woody's, you know, just this kind of really <laughs> bad vocals from Mike Love. Uh, and it just sounds really chintzy. It's not very good. Surf and USA is already the sound of the snare drum when it comes in just whoop-punk. Uh, and uh, the great uh, organ solo here, the guitars, the opening lick of the guitar sounds better than the open, opening lip lick of uh, Sweet uh, Sixteen. <laughs> Not as a uh, better uh, playing, but the uh, it's the hotter. It, yeah, it, it's yeah. a hotter. It's a hotter lick at the top. The whole thing, and then especially. I mean, if you're thinking about the song in your head, it's just the ooh in the in the uh, middle uh, of the verses, right? When the, when the big voices come in, it's this big, rich, right. uh, and confident sound. You don't have that anywhere on the previous album because they yeah. just didn't record it well. Just the cleverness to do the whole the inside outside USA. I mean, right. there's a vocal arrangement there that's light years beyond, you know, what it was that they had done like you know just the year before. By the way, there's one other evolution on this album that I think it's worth paying attention to. And it takes us to the next album, which is here's the point about the Beach Boys. And and maybe, gosh, you got to credit Murray, the evil domineering taskmaster father of theirs, Murray Wilson. He was very attuned to commercial calculation. And he was thinking to himself, well, you know, this, uh, this, this surfing stuff, you know, can, can the rest of the country really relate? Is this going to travel, so to speak? So he said, like, okay, you know, we got to write about some other stuff. What are the other things that kids these days, you know, these kids with their loud rock music, what can they relate to? Well, Cars. That's something that's not only a quintessential California culture issue, although I think the Beach Boys did more than almost any other group to make car culture a thing mm. in California, at least in the popular consciousness. Uh, but he said cars. And so what's the other big hit on this album? It's shut down. Tack it up, tack it up, baby, gotta shut you down. That's a song that really kind of belies a conscious effort to branch out, sort of maybe hedge their bets, so to speak. You know, if this surfing thing is just a fad, and, you know, it becomes like the Macarena or whatever, you know, I'm sure there were a bunch of fads that we don't even remember were big things in the early 60s. <laughs> they were like huge for three months and then they died. Well, they were going to like, they were going to hedge their bets by going and doing some of this car stuff too. And then you see them really kind of self-consciously branching out in two directions here with their next few albums. And what is the first of those? It's Surfer Girl. Three albums with Surf in the title in three in uh, two years. You have Surf and Safari, Surf in USA, and now Surfer Girl. All right, seems like we're, we're we're hammering on a theme here, aren't we? But the irony is that the difference. By the way, Surfer Girl was released, I think, like four months after Surf in USA. The workload for these kids was just, just sickeningly fast. Um, Surfer Girl the mo- is about as close to Surf and Safari in sound as like you know the difference between an amoeba and an eagle. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much different already. It's been a year, and they're so much different from the first notes of Surfer Girl the title track which i don't actually like that much by the way um you know it, it's a bit hokey it still has some of that late 50s sort of doo-wop harmony stuff going on to me it feels like brian was actually going to be one of the guys who was sort of critical in, in eliminating those old harmonic tricks later on in his career which is one of the reasons i love the beach boys so much and this falls back on those old moves so- Good surfer. 
but it's a huge hit. Everybody knows it. Uh, but this is an album that also has Catch a Wave. It has Little Deuce Coop for crying out loud. Little Deuce Coop, you don't know what I got, baby. I love that song. That song is about, you know, also, I'm, I'm not bragging, babe, so don't shut me down. Um, it's about a guy boasting about how awesome his car is. It's like a 1932 Roadster, I believe. You know, like one of these old something you'd see in American Graffiti. And by the way, I'm fairly certain that Little Deuce Coop is on the, the American Graffiti soundtrack. We were talking about soundtracks last week. But, of course, this is the album that also has, I mean, you want the true precursor to, you know, to everything on the Beach Boys today, everything on Pet Sounds. It's here. It's in my room, which is a song that I actually think it's it's only fair to let one of you guys talk about because everybody loves this. Well, this uh, the Beach Boys, uh, if you compare them to the Beatles, right, the Beatles early records are all very self-consciously uh, addressed uh, to the second person. The second person is you, uh, and you is a 17-year-old girl, and it is their modal fan. <laughs> they are singing to you. They are trying to um, seduce you very consciously every single song, for the most part, uh, through up until about Rubber Soul, the very first records. Beach Boys aren't like that, um, for the most part. They are. They're not about... Uh, you know, clever, cheeky boys uh, talking about uh, things that are of romantic interest to teenage girls. They are dudes talking about dude stuff. I'm going to go surfing. They're showing off. They're drag racing. They're having co competitions. They're saying my school's better than your school. It's all this kind of like blood. It's super like it's Californian. It's American compared to Brit uh, on, on so many levels. And uh, and it's fun. Um, uh, it's fun, fun, fun uh, in, in that sense. And it's, you know, certainly the thing that Mike Love always kind of uh, associates with, you know, this is what people want uh, from the Beach Boys. And we have to give it to him. That's us at our best. And it communicates these memories. Well, um, the uh, the beginnings of the difference of that is uh, starts with a lonely sea, I think, is the first kind of reflective thing. But in my room now, um, that isn't a dude showing off for a girl. That is a uh, now 21 year old. Um, who's struggling with some stuff. <laughs> There's a place where I can go and tell my secrets too. Uh, yeah, you're, yeah, is the, this guy who works in this expressive art of rock and roll music who's going out and they have their own like Beach Boys <laughs> mania and having screaming teenage girls uh, at them and all these kind of things. Although Brian Wilson doesn't necessarily enjoy uh, those live performances. He's going to quit from them uh, uh, sooner rather than, the, than later. But uh, this is where he's looking for his protection a cocoon uh, inside like a mythical uh, safe space of a house, even though his own house has never been safe because of a domineering father. It's great.
Uh, it is uh, in my room, Surfer Girl, which I like a lot more than you do, Jeff. It's a it's a song that has a lot of um, deep personal meaning for me. It was played at my wedding. I, I think I think it's a it's an ideal of a uh, of a kind of a beautiful, plain and plaintive. Uh, melody and it's also in its own sense kind of abstract that he's not even singing to he's singing to an ideal of a girl and not to an actual girl uh, unlike the Beatles the Beatles are getting straight into it um, but there's there's this group of kind of ballads uh, 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 in my room uh, uh, surfer girl we see uh, uh, in in the uh, warmth of the sun and some of these other ones that start to become less tethered but in my room is the uh, is the first one to let you know that something isn't quite okay uh, that he's working through it, um, and it also speaks to people in uh, in their own kind of shoegazing and, and lonely moments in a way that's very vulnerable and very different uh, than the cocky, strutty stuff of Mike Love. This is uh, the first album Brian gets full production credit on, although he was doing a lot of the work previously. And this is the album with all the songs with Surfer in the title. There's a Surfer Girl. Uh, there is a, a Surfer Moon, a South Bay Surfer, Rocking Surfer, Surfer's Rule. You kind of get And then the there's picture. also Catch a Wave, which right. isn't, doesn't have surf in it, but right. might as well. I think most of those are actually some of the weaker points on Surfer Girl, which I think pound for pound and anything early in the Beach Boys career before like all summer long is 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 um uneven at best, right? Because they're they're working so quickly to put out content. But I think of those of those pre all summer long albums, Surfer Girl is probably the best. Um in my room, which Matt talked about very well. Uh Catch a Wave. Catch a Wave wasn't even a single. Um, did not release as a single, but it's a great song. you kind of hear the the guitar coming through more cleanly, a little more rhythmic too. And it has that Beach Boys-esque organ break in the middle, which we'd hear later in Fun, Fun, Fun. Not just a bit, cause it's been going on so long. Catch you away, catch you away. They'll eat their words with a fork and spoon and watch them. They'll hit the road and I'll be surfing soon. And when they catch away, they'll be sitting on top of the world. Harp, too, which I think was done by Mike Love's girlfriend, right? Something like that. Um, but Catch a Wave's great. Little Deuce Coop would uh, end up going to number 15 on the charts. Uh, these early Beach Boys, you know, even if there is some filler, it doesn't matter because by the time you say, that's not a great song, it's over. You know, everything's <laughs> two minutes or less. Little Deuce Coop is great. It's a it's a buck 49. That's it. Uh, they get in and out. They get the pink slip daddy, and they're, and they're done. Um, and then Little Deuce Coop has a little more of a shuffle feel to it, kind of like a Fats Domino shuffle to it. Um, and, uh, Hawaii is, uh, is one of the good ones on the album too. I think, um, your summer dream has some unusual, a little more unusual harmonies going for it in the end. Uh, you know, the, the ones with surfing in the title generally are, are not my favorites on the album, but I think on the whole, the strengths here, like catch a wave and in my room is brilliant stuff lifts this to again, probably the best pre all summer long album in the beach boys canon in, in my opinion. Well, Jeff, talk- like, you were saying that? Uh, just uh, Jeff was talking about before about uh, the kind of uh, precursor uh, 
uh, complicated harmony of vocals that were coming on shut shut down. I think we also get that on Little Deuce Coop. I mean, it's a it's mm -hmm. a, a harbinger of your fun, fun, fun and get arounds and these kind of uh, uh, two or three different kind of overlapping lines and vocals going off each other, which is something that. Um, very few bands have ever even tried to pull off. I mean, if you think about it, how come there's only one real band that ever you could even associate with a song like <laughs> even like Little Deuce Coop, but yeah. more, you know, more importantly, like I Get Around or Fun, Fun, Fun. Those are hard to write, it turns out. Yeah. Like back in the USSR comes as close as anyone, uh, I guess. And even then, it doesn't really do all these kind of uh, counter harmonies and everything like that, which is really interesting. The other thing I would say is that this is pretty much their last surf instrumental thing a part of right. surfing usa the record that i really appreciated and this touches on jeff talking about like communicating surf culture to the rest of the world they did five instrumentals on surfing usa they you know they did dick dale songs they did they did uh famous pretty well uh known surf culture songs and they taught the rest of the country about this and surfer girls kind of the end of this okay we present you this thing that is actually an authentic culture there's a whole surf music thing that they bubbled and up and came from and that's really interesting and they wrote some of their own uh kind of instrumental uh twist too and you know boogie woody on uh, on this one uh, uh that's all fun but this is kind of the last of it uh the other thing i would point out this is the first this record of the appearance of Hal Blaine, um, yes. who is right. the drummer, uh, the anchor behind the Wrecking Crew, the arguably the single greatest uh, rock studio uh, musician combos in history, that from 63 to 75, basically, from this record uh, to Love Will Keep Us Together by Captain Antoniel, <laughs> um, played on every goddamn hit, hit <laughs> song you've ever heard in your life. It took me until, like, almost recently, to realize, like, you know what? Why do I like this Simon and Garfunkel record, and I, I don't like that one? It's because this one is the one that the Wrecking Crew played on. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that happens a lot. So he comes in on, and you can really hear, if you want to hear the difference between, De Dennis Wilson, I think, is actually a pretty decent drummer. I like his little roles uh, on uh, on fast songs. He has a little uh, uh, interesting kind of giddy-up uh, to his drumming. Um, uh, but listen to Our Car Club which is a, a semi-throwaway car song, but just listen to the drum sound and the fills playing there, and you'll understand why there's a cult of Hal Blaine, uh, understandably. It's pretty amazing. So if you don't like surfing, maybe you'll like cars instead. <laughs> um, so what happens next? Well, three months after Surfer Girl, another beat... Wait, did I say three months? I meant three weeks! Three <laughs> weeks after Surfer Girl is released, Capitol Records, clearly realizing they've struck gold and they want to mine as much of that shiny, shiny ore out of the vein as they can before it all goes to, goes to salt. They say, all right, we, we, we need more product. We need more product. And so what do they do? They push Brian to, to, again, we're branching out here. So you had a surfing album. Well, how about an album for those people who don't much care about surfing and waves? It's, it's, let's make a car culture album. And so what do you get? You get Little Deuce Coop, which I guess a lot of people say is like one of the first rock concept albums ever made. You've got uh, almost every single song on this record is about cars. In fact, actually, I think, except for Be True to Your School, yeah. which actually is my, one of my least favorite songs on the record, by the way. <laughs> Famous song, but I don't much care for it. Um, <clears throat> this, I know, Scott, you, you disagree with me, but that's okay. You have the right to be wrong. I think this is the best pre-1964 Beach Boys album, even though it's half compilation. They didn't have enough material. So what do they do? They went back and they got the best and most famous car tracks from their earlier records. Little Deuce Coop, of course, 
having already featured on Surfer Girl is here. It's the opening track. Then you've also got 409 and Shutdown and Our Car Club. Those come back from the old records. But then you got eight new tracks. And I got to tell you, some of these tracks are fantastic. I don't understand how Brian was able. I mean, he's clearly this is this is I guess this is how you burn out by putting out so much music so fast. <laughs> but he came up with some fantastic music on this cherry cherry coupe you know it's obviously about a really sweet car <laughs> and it's but it's got this very smooth harmonic line in the chorus go cherry cherry coupe now and it just you know very simple melodic in harmonic development but oh it's so satisfying but there's there's nothing better for me than um no-go showboat, which is if you read the lyrics, they're actually darn funny. It's about like a really sweet looking car, but but everything under the under the hood sucks, and it's like really slow, and it's a clunker. <laughs> In other words, it even gets beaten by the ice cream truck. It's so, it's so slow. Um, such a great little piece of music, and I think this album again. These albums are all so so quick and so brief. That's the that's the great thing about Beach Boys albums. They're all like twenty five minutes and out, even all the way up through the sixties. You know, if, so as, as Matt said earlier, if you don't like it, hey, just wait a couple minutes. You're done. We got a new one. Right? The, the Beach Boys did not make seven minute long epics that lingered forever. Um, except not yet. Yeah, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll wait on that. You know, for the the fourteen minute variations on heroes and villains. But, um, but yeah, I really like this one a lot. I know you don't, Scott. And I, you know, I don't know. Maybe I just think cars are cooler than surfboards. Yeah, but I don't know. I, something's clicking for you that's not for me because I, I I don't really love a lot of the lyrics here, which is a lot of Roger Christian stuff on the on the new songs. Uh, you mentioned the four that are that are pulled from previous albums, uh, like. Ballad of Old Betsy and Spirit of America, to me, have essentially the same melody. And it's not, you know, one of Brian's best. Um, the one on here, uh, Car Crazy Cutie, I don't mind. I think the the, the vocal arrangement is, is pretty good. It's kind of a Dion uh, pastiche or inspired sort of song. I think that's the I think that's the best new one here. But even that one's not great. Uh, the material is a little light for me. Uh, you mentioned Be True to Your School, which I, I don't like either. That that has one of those strain of, of Mike Love vocals that gets, just gets a little too nasally for me. And I know that's just that's, that's Mike Love for the most part. But Be True to Your School, especially on the opening you know, couple of lines, man, that just rubs me the wrong way. And uh, uh, the content of uh, the rest of the album, is it's, it's, it's all right. Uh, again, it's helped, of course, by pulling off some of the better songs from previous records. Sure, I mean, you pull four good songs from previous records. You start with a good batch of songs but i think the rest of it and, and a lot of the new ones that are specifically for little do scoop don't really rise above you know average at best i split the difference between the two of you guys i think that it uh it hangs together as a coherent album as a kind of a concept as the the logic that runs through it um uh better than the other batch of uh young ones or uh, or early records i should say um of beach boys uh that said it doesn't have the high points for me that uh surfer girl and uh and uh and and others have uh, the song that that actually sticks with me uh there uh and this may speak to my own kind of 
uh, interest in uh, in the way that Brian Wilson arranges and records, sings harmonies, is A Young Man Is Gone, which is uh, a, a slow, kind of sappy uh, version of an old Bobby Troop song uh, called Their Hearts Were Full of Spring. Um, but they, they kind of... Uh, recast it to be about james dean and uh and it's uh it's like the uh, amount of overlapping vocals here people i'm i've very much enjoy uh harmony singing i like trying to do it myself when i used to play a lot more music than i do now um and uh some people get confused why uh people like me don't tend to like the eagles because eagles, they're <laughs> look, they're doing great harmonies. Yes, and they're they're not, and they can do them in their sleep, live on cocaine, stabbing each other in the face, the whole <laughs> bit. Yes, that's wonderful. But do you want to hear like inventive uh, harmonics, harmonies that you couldn't sit down on a computer and just like draw up the graphs? This one is you know four up from this one, and that one's eight up from that one. It ain't like that. Um, that a young man is gone is like that, and it's also this kind of metaphorical uh you know you can't help but feel the haunting that's going to come soon with brian wilson when he's reflecting on a young man who uh performed so well at an early age and flamed out so that's the one that sticks out for me screaming tire flashing fire and gone was this young star oh how could So now that this takes us to what I consider to be the the real nadir of the Beach Boys' early career, you know, you know, you can't push these guys to keep on putting out an album every four months or so. You know, as I joke, Radiohead puts out an album every presidential administration or so. Um, uh, Beach Boys put out one every three or four months. So it's March of 1964, still pre-Beatles, really, still pre-British Invasion. And what is it? It's Shutdown Volume Two. What about Shutdown Volume One? There is no Shutdown Volume One. Shutdown Volume <laughs> One was a capital compilation of car songs, which is, you know, again, the way they're doing this, this this simultaneous play for both the surf culture and then the car culture at the same time. This is another quote car album. But man, this one is where the wear and tear really begins to show. Uh, there's so much garbage on this. There's two instrumentals. One of them is just, you know, a, a drum solo from Dennis Wilson. Boy, if there's one thing that you didn't need to hear it's 1964 <laughs> era dennis wilson playing a drum solo and it's the album concluding track there's a goofy cover of louie louie i yeah. mean there have been a billion covers of louie louie but this one's the worst <laughs> you know there's you know two instrumentals there's a dialogue track cassius love versus sonny wilson which is just brian wilson and michael love arguing with each other in the studio oh it's terrible and the actual songs aren't much better. Like, I don't really like In the Parking Lot or Keep an Eye on Summer or Pom Pom Playgirl. And yet, and yet, Shutdown Volume 2 also has two of the most famous and well-loved songs of the entire career of the Beach Boys. They, they had this album that was almost entirely garbage, and then they had to go throw on as the first two songs on it, Fun, 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 and Don't Worry Baby. 
which of course a lot of people would argue if Keith Moon were alive and with us today, he would barge into the studio and interrupt this podcast to insist that Don't Worry Baby is the greatest Beach Boys song ever. And a lot of people would say that he had a really good argument. Um, but fun, fun, fun is equally as good. You know, you'll have fun, fun, fun till your daddy takes the T-bird away. And by the way, the one thing I love about fun, fun, fun is that again, it's, it's very clever little lyrical trick all these songs as matt pointed out were about guys bragging about dude stuff (laughs) you know very very male braggadocio teenage stuff uh and then here's a song about a girl for you know it's 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 you know it's it's the girl who like you know you know takes her dad's car says i'm going to the library to study ha 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 now i'm cruising to the hamburger stand instead i'm gonna (laughs) go show off and you know uh, you know peacock around for the boys um nice little change of pace for that again interesting lyrical conceit great lyric by mike love on that song by the way Fun, 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 and of course, don't worry, baby. A song I might point out that is actually about a guy who mouths off about how badass his car is, and then gets called on it and has to like drag race, and he realizes I've made a terrible mistake. I've like Joe Bluth from the rest of Development. I've made a huge mistake, and it's, it's his girl saying, "Well, don't worry, it'll be all right, anyways." But nobody gets that out of the song. Nope, nobody no. realizes it's about cars. It's not about cars to people. It's about you know the love of a good woman who's going to comfort you in your moment of need, which is just I guess you know one of those wonderful little you know touches. It, it makes it universal, even though it's about such a silly conceit and a silly premise. <laughs> but those two songs are great, and I don't really care for the other ones. I don't really like the warmth of the sun that much either. That's uh, crazy talk. There, yeah, that, well. that last draw, dropping a uh, frag in the tent here, pal. Uh, <laughs> Tell me more. Uh, the warmth of the sun, uh, I think, is just beautiful. The you know, the opening. Uh, so he's playing off the same kind of fifties ballad of Surfer Girl and these other things, but now suddenly what's the key are we in he's like becoming untethered a lot of the early stuff is sort of the one the usual one four five progression of blues based rock music and rock music in general um he stops doing that i mean, just think in your head right now of of the and the uh, and the uh, guitars underneath it it's just like a different chord each time and there might not have any relationship to one another and yet you're not that gives you a sense of disquiet or of, of like being adrift in some place yet you're not panicked yet. And that's something to watch as Wilson's career goes on because it, it, in this case it works. Um, and after a while he's it, the, all tethers are removed and you don't know where the hell the song is anchored to. It's a real interesting songwriter, um, uh, 
gift curse something uh the 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 backstory of warmth of the sun as told by the beach boys who were completely unreliable narrators people like right. i go in addition to reading heroes and villains mike love has, an, has a book out that came a couple of years ago and i have a lot of mike love is an easily hateable uh, figure <laughs> in, in the history i like top five hateable characters in <laughs> rock and roll history and as such i kind of have some sympathy for him right uh, so he, do i <laughs> Because he's the one who, who you know, he, he, he's got to keep it together while Brian Wilson is, you know, losing decades to drugs and charlatans and, and Lord knows what else. Michael Love is keeping the act on the road. He's the Mick Jagger of the modern day stones of like, I'll be the business guy. Someone's got to do this stuff and I'm going to do fan service and I'm going to take care of this uh, thing. Uh, and he's got, you know, his uh, uh, other problems. But anyways, Mike Love, uh, he loves this song a lot, which might surprise some people. Um, they tell it that John Kennedy was assassinated uh, in November 1963. And the next day they kind of gathered uh, in an unspoken kind of way. And it's just this song flowed right out of them. And that's what happened. And that's how they expressed it, even though it has nothing to do with JFK uh, by name. I want to believe that as much as anybody else, because it's really nice. And it's sort of them. Um, and uh, speaking as a Californian, again, like the the metaphor of the sun and you know you need it especially when you're out in the cold and feeling kind of bad um uh says something to you and i i think it's uh i i i find it uh beautiful for that Also, highly recommend going to YouTube, uh, uh, typing up "Warmth of the Sun" and Willie Nelson because it will make you hate Mike Love so much more. <laughs> um, it's he he recorded a version with the the boys, kind of doing backup with him, uh, Sands uh, uh, Brian Wilson, and and Willie Nelson is doing Willie Nelson does, which is really interesting. Uh, uh, interpretations and phrasings of melodies in ways that surprise you. And Mike Love's like, no, no, that's not how it goes. So you what should do? <laughs> what good is the sun? It's like that. You know, Willie Nelson's like, he's teaching what? the melody of the yeah. song to Willie he's Nelson. He's melody splaining <laughs> a lead vocal to Willie Nelson. It is so, and Willie, God bless his stoned mind, is just like putting up with it. And I would have punched him. Uh, that's great. The other thing I'll say about Don't Worry Baby. Um, uh, which I agree there's parts of, you know, at, at any given time in the year, that's my favorite song of all time as well. So beautiful. Just the, the, the emotion of the, uh, of the, uh, backing, ah, at the beginning, uh, already just sort of like your chest is swelling, uh, there. Um, that's great. Uh, a thing like that song, like Norwegian Wood, uh, plays a trick that is almost impossible to do as a songwriter. And many people have never done it as a songwriter, which is um, ne next time you listen to it, think about this. The verse and the chorus 
are in completely different keys that don't really have anything to do with one another. How do you do that? And how do you do that without like saying, hey, we're having a key change over here? Um, it's uh, it's a stunning bit of pop songwriting. It's a sleight not- of hand. It's the trick. It's like, you know, uh, it's the when she makes love to me, when that, that little ascent. Right, 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 yeah, right. That's where the chord changes happen. That's where that's where it goes into the different key. And you're right. You don't even realize it's happening. Uh, it's it's beautiful and and I as a like a ten year old I think listening to that on the radio in Southern California and when he said when she makes love to me uh, I knew that that meant something pretty serious <laughs> I didn't know what it was but I knew that the by the way that he sung that 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 was like some really serious stuff and that I would be looking forward to that in the future and, and that turned out to be true <laughs> yep. Uh, I'll, I'll spend just a little more time on Don't Worry Baby because, as Jeff explained, the rest of the album doesn't need any more time spent on it. It's just such a phenomenal song. From that gentle, real gentle lead-in where the drums sort of come in and, and then the, those stacked harmonies begin at the start of the song. You get that chill up your spine. That's where it all starts. And you consider, you know, in the, uh, uh, you know, this is around the time when Brian's starting to, to kind of fall apart. He's engaged to his first wife around the time of writing uh, Don't Worry Baby. And it, it begins this pattern of song um, themes where there's, there's this, you know, kind of weak male uh, that, that might be saved by a stronger woman that, that uh, would pop up again and again in Beach Boy songs. It's here in Don't Worry Baby. Um, listen back to the chorus. I don't think I ever appreciated it until prepping for this show. How complex. You have three different things happening in the chorus of Don't Worry Baby. You know, Mike, uh, Mike Love is, um, is, is singing kind of the low part, the now don't. And then you have the band in full with, with the, uh, with the double track vocals. And then Brian, of course, on top over it all with his falsetto. It's just an incredible way of weaving uh, all those parts and voices together during the during the chorus of "Don't Worry, Baby," uh, man, start to finish, uh, just an incredible piece of music. Boys is after an album that might have felt like it was, you know, the beginning of a burnout. Um, that it, oh, it seemed like, wow, you know, here's a lot of a lot of crap, a lot of flimsy product, and then these these one or two, the A and the B side of the hit single, right? And also, by the way, you know, I'll just say this: why don't why don't fools fall in love? It's a pretty good cover. It's not the best Beach Boys cover, but it's also pretty good. I didn't want to ignore it entirely. But what matters far more is that again, just a few months later. I think it's like, again, like four months later. This is July of 1964. This is the middle of the summer of 64. This is, you know, after the, the, the Beatles have, you know, kind of made their first big impact, I think. Uh, what happens? You get what I would argue, you know, everything else up until this point has been prelude. 
And here is the first Beach Boys album that you absolutely must own. You have no excuse for not owning all summer long, which to me is the greatest summer album that has ever been recorded. If you want an album, you know, that's conceptually that makes me makes me think of like, you know, like going to the beach or driving around in my car or hanging out with the girls or just having a good time. This is that album. And it starts with I Get Around, which I think I you know, Scott and I were talking about this or, or you know, earlier in the week. I think on Twitter we both made the same point. This is like, how can you have a pulse and dislike I get around? <laughs> Round around, get around, I get around. And then by yeah. the way, that, uh, yeah, get around. <laughs> and then of course, like by the way, that was the great thing about the Beach Boys vocal arrangements is that you know they all knew exactly where they belonged in yes. their in their stack. Yeah. So like Mike, although he sang those sort of nasally adenoidal lead vocals uh, on the harmonies, he's always the bass. Mm-hmm. He's always you know he, he's the bow 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 on Help Me Rhonda. He's the yeah yeah on I Get Around. They they are uh, Brian knew exactly where to put each of them. He's like a I don't know like a like a I would say a. a, a an architect or something like that he's he's structuring them out of these pieces to create just an amazing vocal arrangement again from surf and safari in 1962 to i get around less than two years later uh it's amoeba to eagle i don't understand how fast a band could evolve like this but of course if it was just i get around on all summer long then we have another shutdown situation right. here's where things change <laughs> everything else on this album is good there's okay there's the stupid dialogue track the obligatory dialogue track is dumb i don't think you need to hear our favorite recording sessions uh and i might if i'm really feeling uh, like unfair i think the girls on the beach which is like the big multi-part harmony showcase it the chord changes are a little bit too gawky that's just it's a, a surfer a, girl it, rewrite i mean that's yeah it is it, but it, it almost reminds me of if Wilson is actually like trying to like find an unexpected chord change and to like to go somewhere strange but it feels too forced it doesn't quite work but everything else on this record is just awesome hush by all summer long the title track Wendy one of the most gloomy hits you've ever heard I mean with all these silences and stop starts it sounds like a funeral procession um, drive-in, uh, an epic Phil Spector-like track about having fun at drive-in movies, and a really funny lyric too by Mike Love. Uh, and then, of course, these other two like, like quiet songs that they make it onto the boxed sets. If you're a real big Beach Boys fan, but if you're not, maybe you don't know exist. Little Honda and Don't Back Down. Little Honda. I. This is not about cars. This is about when Honda was actually primarily in the motorcycle market right. before they became like a big car maker. Go Little Honda. Honda, faster little Honda. It's about like first gear, you know, like you're, you're zooming along in your little motorcycle. And I always wonder, is this the greatest piece of musical product placement ever? <laughs> How many motorcycles were sold by that song? I would have wanted one if I had heard that song. First And then the album ends with Don't Back Down. Don't Back Down is, 
you know, it, it's always treated as this sort of psychological act of, uh, you know, Brian Wilson, you know, kind of getting his nerve up to take on the Beatles. Uh, it's a song nominally about like surfers, you know, like the girls, what's the, what's the line? You know, the girls dig the way the guys get all wiped out with their feet in the air. You can hear them shout. They're not afraid. Don't back down. Don't back down. And then there's that great chorus where Brian's doing the falsetto. You got to be a little nuts. But you got to show them now who's got guts. Don't back down from that wave. And it's not only just a piece of sort of, it feels like, you know, again, psychology. It feels like Brian is talking to himself saying, I can take these sons of bitches. And he could. Uh, but it's also just a beautiful song. And again, done in under two minutes, in, out. A masterpiece on the first truly essential Beach Boys album. <laughs> I love all summer long, and the last thing I'll say about it is that this is by far the greatest album cover the Beach Boys ever did, too. <laughs> I love that album cover design. Um, you know, nothing has ever topped it in their discography, in my opinion. I'm uh, still a sucker for the um, Surfing USA, just gigantic blue wave. I've got most of these things on uh, on right. vinyl, uh, and it's just it's just it's so big and it's so blue. But right. they they are a very underrated as a cover art band. Um, I mean, you can picture the Beach Boys with their surfer uh, surfboard, gigantic, you know, kind of walking down uh, the beach. You can picture uh, feeding damn pets. It's a stupid cover, but you can you, <laughs> <laughs> you, you can see it. Uh, and you're right; it sticks uh, in in some ways. Um, I like this record. I, I'm <clears throat> I'm constrained by uh, uh, even a childhood affliction, which is that I never did like the super high squeaky uh, Brian Wilson voice. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I know that sounds uh, counterintuitive, given that I totally adore Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys. <laughs> um, but the uh, think of the way it sounds on Wendy, right? Mm. Um, that uh, just just like you know, there's a certain nasality. There's some Mike Love nasal uh, things that you can't take, and some that you totally love. Like, it's I, it's totally the, it's 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 a straight up tribute to like Frankie Lyman and the teenagers and right. that fifties doo wop stuff. Which yeah. which I uh, that's never uh, uh, touched me very much that uh, the Frankie stuff. So um, uh, on uh, on Wendy is especially um, uh, even a little bit on, on all summer long. Uh, that's uh, that's stuck uh, in my uh, in my uh, uh, hide a little bit one thing that uh, they do a lot here i get around um and it's just because it becomes a model later for uh, pet sounds and, and other things is that brian now is as a producer um just swapping out everybody's vocals like many hits have different guys singing lead bits or you got the chorus i got this sure. verse maybe you get the bridge and their voices have uh, separate and at this point developing characters. Mike Love is the most obvious character, and and uh, Brian uh, in uh, and Brian Wilson has a character. And we're, we will start to see the development of Carl Wilson uh, and his voice, which sounds a lot like Brian's, but then has its own kind of aspects uh, here. And the way that uh, Brian sort of determines uh, what uh, who goes where and plugs in is super great and adds to the the mix, even if it's unconscious. You don't really care about the backstories behind everybody. You just sort of feels 
text uh, texturally a little bit different. And I'll summer long uh, something about uh, like, he's really you can see that it's now becoming a, a, a more of a piano based uh, band than a guitar band. They really started off in that guitar one four five, and you can hear guitar. And there's a lot of Carl Wilson playing lead and this kind of stuff. But you can see that Brian's starting to write on piano. Part of the reason why you have on like Little Deuce Coop and, and California Girls and All Summer Long, it's these sort of boogie shuffle type things. That's the thing that you do on the piano. That's not a thing that you <laughs> right. do. It doesn't come naturally on the guitar. Right. Uh, uh, so uh, and that opens up a certain kind of freedom um, and, and and also orchestral suggestions. So the way that they use, I don't know if it's xylophones or timpanis or whatever on All Summer Long, but you can hear it in your mind, um, that we're starting to see a more orchestral fill-out of things and uh, a more involvement of a wrecking crew type of, of, uh, of, of performances and then the things that that suggests to uh, Brian Wilson for making produ- producer choices. We're starting to see that here. All summer long you've been with me Back to I Get Around, which I think is an absolutely perfect, perfect pop song. Uh, how many hooks are thrown at you in I Get Around? Endless, endless hooks are thrown at you at I Get Around from the very, very start. Those two those two low notes introed into the acapella, uh, the round, round, get around, which uh, Mike Love claims to have added to the song. This is one of those songs he would get, uh, get songwriting credit for much, much, much later, but and he deserved it, by the way, because I'm going to yeah. tell you, there's no other man on this planet who could write a lyric like, I'm a real cool head making real good bread than Mike Love. <laughs> yeah. That's a Mike Love lyric. <laughs> <laughs> All right? That is actually, by the way, bread in a vat to appeal to teenagers. I love that. Like, my buddies and me were getting real well yeah. known. Yeah. yeah, the bad guys know us and they leave us alone. That's a great lyric. I love that song. <laughs> I love that lyric, too. And guess what? Mike Love actually deserves credit yeah. for it. The structure and production of this is just so sophisticated. All those all those parts coming together, um, the, the drumming here. I think Hal Blaine was on this one, not 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 Dennis. They were beginning to use session players, and his work here, that, that fast brushwork, is just incredible <coughs> to push things uh, along. That stop start rhythm, the, the double bass and yes. uh, and guitar over each other, and the way that the song kind of starts from nothing, right? Just that a cappella. And, and pushes you forward till you reach, you know, 70 miles an hour and then stops at a dime right for that second acapella part before it gets going again. I just love it. There are, there are just, again, countless ways that Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys hook you and bring you along in I Get Around. It is, uh, I think, a perfect, perfect pop song. Round, round, get around. I get around. Yeah, get around, round, round. I get around. I get around. Where the kids are hip 
mean, I, I have, I have <laughs> no objection to what you're saying. I think it may be the sort of if we think of like Beach Boys' early sun, summer, fun, you know, you know, genre of music pre maybe everything up until the next album that we're going to talk about this is the one this is the icon it's this or like maybe fun 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 and yeah. you know i get around is is is, is just fun 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 has, it's a li- it still has too much of a dependence on the standard chuck berry lick right because you know it opens with the right, standard right. Yeah. chuck berry line but i get around is different that's like brian wilson's form of rock music and his own vision and that's i think what makes it different and makes it sort of the singular one from that early era now i know you know matt you wanted me to not skip talking about the beach boys christmas album but i'm gonna make a confession to you this is the only beach boys album in their entire career that i have never heard um, I will quickly explain why it might be worth your time. One is just it's my one of my top five uh, favorite uh, Christmas records uh, on its own. Uh, by uh, however that happens, another is that in the in the progression of of the band and uh, Brian Wilson's producer, they recorded this a month later. <laughs> <laughs> one month later, yep. um, and uh, and you can hear. Um, this is now uh, much more fully orchestral. Uh, there's actually an orchestral producer who comes in and does, a, but puts a lot of schmaltz on White Christmas and things like that. But there are two songs um, uh, I point to. The way that the vocal harmonies are both pro, uh, both uh, performed and produced here uh, are a step up, even from the previous record of a month of a month ago um it is so big and warm and the the song that'll really uh, hit this home is we three kings of orient are like who cares about that song and why would you want to listen to it by the beach but well (laughs) now think about it what happens if you have a real weird guy and some wonderful voices just kind of doing it's basically an acapella the way that they do it um and uh, and it it's uh, it'll blow your hair clean back of what they do in terms of just warmth, richness, and inventiveness of vocal harmonies. The other is just uh, Little St. Nick, which is kind of a ripoff of Little Deuce Coop. Um, uh, again, this sort of like boogie roll shuffle thing. Um, at this point, it just seems like they could do any song like this in their sleep. And, and there's uh, there's in there, but there's a sense of enjoyment from doing it. It's not hackneyed at all. Um, uh, it uh, it's very, very good to listen to um, the uh you really are starting to see in this record um, Wilson using the studio as an instrument. And this is a bridge to what comes next. 
And the bridge that comes to what next, or the bridge to what comes next, was actually going to take quite some time to arrive. And this is the part of the Beach Boys history that probably needs to be explained more than anything else, other than maybe the chaos of the smile sessions, I suppose. Um, we have, for the first time, a long gap in between Beach Boys studio albums. But what people maybe who aren't super familiar with their chronology don't remember because they weren't there is that they released a single in between All Summer Long uh, and their next album. And that was called When I Grow Up to Be a Man. And B-side was a song called She Knows Me Too Well. This is in August of 1964. And when you realize, we don't think of it as a 1965 song as it, you will think of if you just know it from the next album. You think of it as a mid-1964 song. Uh, then you realize how futuristic both of these two pieces were. This is summer of 1964. This is a top-10 hit single, When I Grow Up to Be a Man. And what is it based around? Harpsichord. All right. This is long before, like, you know, Play With Fire came out. This is mm -hmm. long before, um, you know, In My Life, which isn't a harpsichord, but at least it sounds like one. This is long before any of those moves were going to be made by the British Invasion Acts. Brian Wilson was ahead of all of them. And I guess maybe it's telling that it wasn't as huge a hit as all of their previous big singles. It was a disappointment compared to I Get Around. But the other interesting thing about what I grew up to be a man, and she knows me too well. By the way, two, of, two songs of which I consider up there at the end of the show we do our top five i think it's possible both of these may make my top five um what, what's impressive to me too is that every single note on these songs is played by the band this isn't studio pros this isn't hal blaine and the wrecking crew this is the beach boys that's dennis on drums that's carl on guitar that's the band singing that is uh brian wilson is playing the harpsichord playing the piano and then you have two songs whose chordal constructions are so forward looking and so bizarre in terms of what was otherwise known on the pop charts even coming from the beatles at that point um that it 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 it's actually, I guess, you know, one of the reasons why people don't realize how early these songs were in their careers because they do not sound out of place on the Beach Boys today, which a lot of people would argue is one of the two greatest Beach Boys albums ever released. Came out in, I think, something like spring of 1965. And if you thought All Summer Long was an evolution over, you know, Shut Down Volume 2, and it was, well, then the Beach Boys today is just another like quantum step forward from where they were on all summer long. This is where almost other than those two songs, which are the band, uh, almost everything else here are the studio pros. And why are the studio pros here? Because the other big thing that happened is that Brian had his first major nervous breakdown. Now, if you guys have seen the film Love and Mercy, have you guys seen that film? Either of you? Yeah, I have love not. It. I want to. I have not oh, seen you, it. Oh, you got to see. You got to see it, Scott. It's really good. And I said, you know, as a Beach Boys fanatic, I was so prepared to like criticize it and nitpick it, but it really actually gets the spirit of the band right. It gets the stuff right. We, they they depict this scene like they're on a plane, they're flying from one tour date to another, and then you know Wilson just has a freak out you know he's like i can't do this anymore i can't do this anymore and you can completely understand why given their workload over the past several years uh you know he flips the, his bean and of course the band you know they're also a family they love them and they're also like we don't want to you know kill the goose that lays the golden eggs okay we'll work something out we'll get you know glenn campbell will come on the road with us instead <laughs> and in fact glenn campbell was their their yeah. replacement for brian for uh, several tours uh and brian you can stay home in california you can just work in the studio and record stuff we'll go out and we'll tour this stuff and for these 
you know, for this year, for the year of 65 in particular, that is an arrangement that worked. But ultimately, that was like the agreement between the group that, that you know, you can say, you know, did they, did they write their epitaph by making this agreement? Because what ended up, of course, happening is that Brian is left alone to just go crazy. He doesn't have to worry about like going out and playing this stuff on a nightly basis the way the rest of the band has to. So he's just coming up with these more and more ornate, more quasi-orchestral arrangements, um, and you know, basically coming up with stuff that is you know, functionally impossible for the group to handle out on the road unless they spend a lot of time trying. But on the Beach Boys today, things are still looking pretty good, and it all works out quite well. <laughs> This is the album that's famously divided up into a rocker half and then a ballad half. The weaker side, ironically enough, is actually the ballad half, only because it ends with a spoken word track, again, the last time they do this, thankfully, which is unnecessary. And then also one of the songs called In the Back of My Mind, it's the Dennis Wilson feature. I think it's just lame. It's, it's the weakest song on the entire record. But everything else is just great i mean it opens with do you want to dance uh which is i always thought it was a beach boy song as it turns out it isn't it's a cover song uh, but what an amazing say they, they take dennis's like somewhat weak vocals and they lash it to this just tornado of, of rock thunder it's just you do you do you do you do you want to dance and you there are timpanis and there's like 16 different guitars playing it is the wrecking crew wrecking things And it is the great overture to a fantastic album, one of my favorite Beach Boys albums of all time. Again, the, 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 we're in the period where you got to own all these records. Today is really fantastic, and uh, I know you said that the, the second half is weaker, and I can't disagree, but I also, you know, in my notes here, the second half of today is one of those kind of unknown things that even, you know, Beach Boys fans might not know about, or people who, who have, you know, the 40 big hits, or... The second half of today contains, I think, three just tremendous songs. Please Let Me Wander, uh, Kiss My Baby, and She she Knows Me Too Well. Um, and those are really yeah. dense songs. Um, they are really uh, great ballads from Brian and, and, and the band. I mean, Kiss Me Baby is just, it's just gorgeous. Um, 
again, another example where you have Love kind of um, rising to the occasion with his vocal track. I think Mike Love's vocals on uh, Please Let Me Wander and Kiss Me Baby are just outstanding. Um, you know, you don't hear that nasally Mike Love very much on those two tracks. He sort of, it's like he knows the material is improving by leaps and bounds, and he, he's, he's rising to the occasion. And probably, you know, Brian, being the studio guy he is, is pushing him <laughs> just a little bit to get the sound he wants. But, uh, you know, Kiss Me Baby, Love's vocals are excellent. Uh, double excellent. Track. And the lyrics on that song are actually, I mean, the lyrics on all these songs, those three songs you mentioned, are just so penetrating. Kiss Me Baby has that great line, I tossed and I turned and my head was so heavy, and then I wondered as it got light, were you still awake, Mike, me? And then it goes into the, whoa, baby. And it's Kiss Me Baby, Love to Hold You. But in the background, you hear Dennis and Mike singing, kiss a little bit, fight a little bit, kiss a little bit, fight a little bit. <laughs> like, this is like, like, this is like an ongoing cycle of like arguments that these guys, that this guy and this girl have been having like for years now. It's just, again, very clever stuff. Also, Kiss Me Baby is one of uh, the first that uh, read to me, feels the listener like, um, okay, maybe we're talking about relationships in the real world mm -hmm. and not just like some fantasy surfer girl uh, or, you know, someone who's uh, was a, watching a car race. Um, it's uh, it's relationships that are kind of raveling, unraveling. Uh, and whatnot. I, I think of this record, and I and hats off to Jeff for really flagging this particular record during his Beach Boys uh, tweetathon. He just, you know, just in the same way that you've never listened to the Christmas record, um, there are weird gaps even in your hyper fandom of, of various things. And I hadn't ever really locked into this one before, and and uh, listening to it a lot since. Uh, it feels to me, and this is uh, this is a, a kind of an emotional and oral feeling. It feels to me like the rubber sole of uh, of beach boys the rubber sole from the beatles suddenly they're wearing turtlenecks suddenly it feels a little <laughs> bit um more subdued more deep more searing and in moments more adults like we we've gone from high school to college maybe we've gone to graduate school kind of feel to it uh here um uh, we're far away now from uh, some of the kind of carny uh, stuff that we've had at the top of their career. Um, although we're going to get to it still. We're not done with that yet nope. uh, in their discography for sure. Uh, but uh, uh, it's it, it feels like that. It's also, uh, I think, the most uh, fully realized sense that uh, Brian Wilson is going to outdo Phil Spector. Um 
And this, what's happening right now in the context of the music industry is that it's it's relocating to California. Uh, Phil Spector had uh, had kind of uh, started that process. A lot of the Wrecking Crew guys started with Phil Spector, and they migrated to um, uh, Brian Wilson. Um, and you know, and Spector never forgave him. For that, <laughs> by the way, uh, nor nor should he. And uh, and here he's 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 ripping off oh. Phil Spector. Uh, yes. Uh, 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 do you want to uh, dance and dance, dance, dance? Are completely Phil Spector, you know? Sound. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, d- don't hurt my little sister. Uh, uh, it's just a lot of this stuff uh, here uh, is like that. It's it is this big sound, and it's it. I mean, the "Do you want to dance" is so, is is so strange because Dennis w- Wilson's lead vocals n- not good. It's it sounds kind of homely here, and my God! But it this, doesn't. When the chorus comes in, all the rest of the dragon boys fire. Yes comes in what is going on here uh and you the harmonies in wilson's head uh and not just vocal harmonies here but just the whole like let's wall of sound this thing um is is coming and it's very interesting that to match that up with a more intimate feel but yet that's kind of what what's going on here it is it is getting smaller uh here please let me wander um it's a wonderful, wonderful song, uh, and uh, and I pronounce it "wander" because they kind of do. It's supposed to be "wonder," uh, and I like the a- ambiguity uh, there. Um, it's dealing with more kind of adult and complicated themes that feel sort of smaller, more intimate, more serious. Uh, yet with this wall of sound, what a great uh, mix of things. I You're right, uh, Jeff. My God, I, I wish they would s- would just stop it with all of the kind of uh, like uh, spoken word tracks. <laughs> We're just funning around. They should have like put all of that on the Beach Boys party record <laughs> and like sealed it up. <laughs> Although uh, arguably it was kind of a, a precursor for the sort of confess- confessional look at my toes in the sandbox uh, stuff that would come later. I mean, you talk about, you know, the the, the lyrics and the sounds on this album sounding so much more mature and so much more real than before. And again, I have to go back to one of my favorite Beach Boys songs of all time, which is She Knows Me Too Well. And again, I'll point out, this one is the earliest song on the album. This is from July of 1964. This is the all-summer-long era, or basically right after it. But is there has there ever been a more sort of like nakedly self, uh, self-indicting confession of how, you know, Brian or the narrator, I guess, is treating a relationship, you know, like I treat her so mean, I don't deserve what I have. And then I think that she'll forget just by making her laugh. But she knows me. She knows me too well. She knows me so well that she can tell that I really love her. And then he talks about like how he's a hypocrite. Like, 
you know, I get so jealous of the other guy and then I'm not happy till I make her break down and cry. And the, but uh, well, when I look at other girls, it must kill her inside. But it'd be another story if she looked at the guys. Like he's just admitting to his failures and to like not being a good person, not living up to the expectations that you would have as a husband or, or, or you know, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And it's all set to that, that wonderfully ominous opening. You know, the ooh, yeah. she knows me. Like what a great idea to like to start this this sort of naked confession of inadequacy with that great little like you know prelude, and again 1964 Brian Wilson the band is playing on it. This is as pure a Beach Boys song as ever existed, and uh, it's just another album track. <laughs> this is a great album. When I Grew Up To Be A Man um, is just an amazing track, the, the, the kind of fear and uncertainty. And, you know, you, you think uh, Matt was talking about, you know, the, the, the more grown-up lyrics and topics. I mean, the questions asked in this song, right? Will I look for the same things in a woman that I did in a girl? Or will my kids be proud or think their old man's really a square? Um, you know, forward-looking, things that... Uh, and, and the way that, that they, they come through, you know, they count the ages off, 14, 15, 18, 19, and then toward the end into the 20s, and that fade out on when I grew up to be a man is so outstanding. It's a melancholy feel to it, and it's it's you know it's it's not connected to the rest of the song. And we we hear we'll hear that in the future too. It's like it's like a brand new material being entered into the picture with twenty seconds to go, and, and the the guy's singing you know it won't last forever, and it's kind of yeah. sad. Uh, when I grew up to be a man is one of my favorite Beach Boys tracks. Will my kids be proud or think their old man's really square? I mean, th- this is a fantastic album. 
Uh, and everybody who's Beach Boys fan sort of recognizes it as a peak. And then, of course, a lot of Beach Boys fans will then say that the one that immediately followed it up, again, the work pace, my God, just you, you'll snap your neck if you look at this. March is the Beach Boys today. And in July, here comes the next Beach Boys album, Summer Days and Summer Nights. This one is typically treated you know, by critics and by fans as a step backwards, a step down. It's a disappointment. You know, uh, feels like a bit of a retrenchment. I think that's all BS. I think this is one of the most underrated Beach Boys albums of all time. I think that no one needs to hear a song about how cool Salt Lake City is. I can't <laughs> I grant you that. Uh, and I think, you know, we don't really need to all go take a chance and go to Amusement Parks USA. But beyond that, Every other song on this record is fantastic, and it opens with there, – there are songs here that are forgotten. There are, there are three songs on here, maybe four, that everybody knows. Three songs that everyone knows. Everyone knows Help Me Rhonda, which has a very interesting backstory to it, and I'll tell you in a second. Everyone knows California Girls, and if you're a real Beach Boys aficionado, you probably know Let Them Run Wild. But people should know a song like The Girl from New York City, That's a great which track. is – opening song on this album it's so great california guys all cup their eyes from that for that girl from new york city and la boys all heard the noise about that girl from new york city okay yes it begins with a slightly farty saxophone but then <laughs> all of a sudden when it sweeps into that chorus you are carried along and this is the last hurrah for the rock beach boys all right you know then they're gonna get very mopey and, and thoughtful and then weird very weird later on in their career and still great but this is the last stand for the beach boys as a rock group and from girl from new york city to help me Rhonda to the final kiss off that brian wilson did to phil specter basically saying i can do you better than you by his cover of then i kissed him which is then i kissed her they make it you know the female version they give it to al to sing and he does a fantastic job with it that's their best ever cover i think there's so much on this album to like and i've never understood why it's under why it's uh, treated as a sort of a lesser entry in their 60s canon that people just uh the 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 over prominence of pet sounds deserved over prominence of pet sounds for years as as you know the the pinnacle of of album making for a lot of people you know it's in the it's in the uh it's in the uh, the discussion for best album of all time uh certainly it always gets uh, put up and then the the kind of you know, 40 years of waiting for smile and the and the mystery behind that uh focused everyone's attention on 1966 and 1967 so strongly um, that there wasn't a lot of looking backwards. When uh, when I first went uh, down my Beach Boys re-spelunking a couple of years back after your original thread and was making uh, uh, mixes for my friends, I found it hard uh, carving up the eras, right? So you have the, the Beach Waves and Girls era, uh, and then you have like the Peak Vibrations era. Uh, well, this album is right where you have to divide the line, in the middle of it. And you sort some, the Girl from New York City, Salt Lake City, which, by the way, is a huge, huge rock song. Like, it's a, 
big, big production. Like it's a, a total throwaway song. Don't worry about it. But wow, it's just a big rock uh, production. Um, those go over here. But yet on here on the Pet Sounds side of the divide, California Girls. Holy crap. What an incredible orchestral production inventive uh there are moments when that is my uh favorite song of all time it's just it's unbelievable it, would you believe there it, are beach boys fans who dislike that song i don't I get do. it i do I, I just like because anything heard too many times like and, you know you could decide that it's cheap and juvenile and misogynistic or whatever you want to do I think somebody once said to me that if the reason that you dislike california girls is because of the david lee roth cover then fair <laughs> enough <laughs> I wish Uh, but there's also there's also instrumentals here. We're not t- talking about Ventures covers anymore uh, here. Summer Means New Love um, would go perfectly uh, on Pet Sounds. Uh, it is it is orchestral mid sixties um, beyond Herb Albert uh, kind of a Burt Bacharach type of explorations of what we could do here. It's really really interesting um, uh, uh, what you're doing. Uh, uh, Let him run wild. Uh, uh, which uh, is an amazing song that I want to hear Jeff talk more about, but just the swing. Uh, 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 it's a mind-blowing mid-60s pop song. So that's on the, the Pet Sounds side of the divide. So th- it's all right here on this record. And I think this is one of the reasons why I think Brian Wilson has said many times that this is his favorite record. Um, and I get it uh, because he has all this accomplishment in it, and yet he's still doing the kind of early uh, uh Emphasis, emphases and look at just hey we're a good time band having fun over here and and doing shout outs um one of the more interesting bits and we haven't really talked about this in terms of be true to your school um is that we have a redo here uh which is uh help me ronda help me ronda was actually the, one of the worst songs on, on the previous record uh or at least it was it's bad when you listen to it because you can you know what the real the single, help me ronda right. sounds like it's a weird, it's a really confused recording like the like the the, the core of the song the the potential is there but like the, the the big like harmonica lick which is taken straight from buster brown or by fannie mae the song which is you can go look it up on google i put it in that thread total steal but um they also did this weird like fade out fade in thing at the yeah. end like it's like obviously somebody was high in the studio <laughs> uh, and and that by the way the story about that song that I had to share is hilarious. Uh, this is the moment where they'd already fired Murray Wilson, uh, their father, as their manager. Right. Uh, they fired him during the sessions for I Get Around. We talked about what a fantastic production I Get Around is, how brilliant the vocal and musical arrangement is. Well, of course, Murray comes in as they're recording it and says, well, this is garbage. You people don't know what you're doing. This will never sell. You people are idiots. You, you need to listen to me. I know what I know what the kids want to hear. And they, <laughs> you know, that was the moment that Brian said, okay, Dad, get the hell out of here. Uh, he tried to quote reconcile with them uh, several months later during the sessions for Help Me Rhonda and this actually circulates because the studio engineers when Murray came storming in said 
well, this is going to be good. Like that GIF where the guy has the chair. He just you know, sit, pulls it out, sits it down. They ran the tape. And you can hear Murray just shouting at Brian and Carl and Dennis. He's saying, like, I'm a genius. Don't you people realize I'm the genius? I'm, I'm a great artist. You don't know what you're doing. You need to do it this way. And uh, it circulates on this very famous Beach, uh, beach Boys bootleg of all of their most cringeworthy moments that is called Endless Bummer, which is... <laughs> By the way, my, one of my favorite bootleg titles of all time. The Mike is flying on his high notes. We need help. We, we, need, who, who need, we help? need the honest projection that we used to have. You want to have like when a you guys get too seven, much right? when on you guys get too it? much money, you start you start thinking you're going to make everything a hit. Well, now, let me Brian, ask you this. Uh, oh, come on now. Oh, I don't want to stop you. I just want to make sure this is on tape. This is an absolute insult. Well, you're doing the same to me. You're you're for 20 people. Okay, right, let me see. It. What else do we got? I'm sorry. I'll never help you guys mix another stage. Why? Because you don't appreciate the good help Chuck Gritz and I have given you. You don't took a beautiful gift, and then you guys start coming off. Okay. Now, listen. Let me tell you something. Yes. When you guys get so big that you can't sing from your hearts, you're going downhill. 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 But, yeah, so uh, Murray... Uh, you know, he just just didn't understand what was going on in the slightest bit. And of course, if you see Love and Mercy, the film, this all comes through rather loud and clear. I'm sorry to interrupt, but that little help me Rhonda anecdote, I could not, I could not leave it out. So it wasn't interrupt. It was uh, it was a, a handoff. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let Scott get in here, but I wanted to just say that the girl don't tell me, which would have also been perfectly in in place on the Beach Boys Today record, um, or or on the Beatles album Help as yeah. Ticket to Ride. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the point. It's a it it manages to. Be be a ticket to ride ah, homage. It's an album and call it an homage. Uh, as much as anything else, uh, like girl, don't tell me you're right. Hi, hi. It's that close uh, to it, uh, which the um, uh, yet uh, I find uh, utterly uh, charming. Uh, I'm sure that, uh, that it's a good uh, song. <laughs> on some level, Brian Wilson might be embarrassed by it in the same way that like David Bowie is embarrassed by his his uh, hunky dory. Uh, 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 you know, love uh, ballads to Andy Warhol and Lou Reed and elsewhere uh, and Bob Dylan, but uh, it's still it's it's a it's a great Beatles song. Uh, 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 it, it fits right in, and right at this point in their careers, they're just they're trading blows. Uh, they're totally inspired by one another. Uh, they're they're geeked out by one another, and they're competing with one another, and it's great to watch. I like Girl Don't Tell Me. It's one of the finds for this album for me going up to this uh, episode. It, Carl's got the vocal on it, and yeah, it's it's, it's 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 unusual, too, for Beach Boys because it is such a blatant kind of Beatles rewrite from Ticket to Ride, and there's no backing vocals on the track. It's it's just Carl, uh, for the most part, going through. About His like, first lead vocal yeah, ever, by the way. I like Girl Don't Tell Me, and the other one that was a real find, and I really recommend you check out. It's not going to be in my top five at the end, but J- Jeff already talked about The Girl from New York City, which kicks off the album. That is just a really 
fun, great song. Um, and, uh, and, and, and the way that the, the group vocals uh, sing, sing that chorus is really fantastic. Uh, California Girls, I've really loved for a long, long time. It's, uh, um, you know, they're, they're triple tracking the vocals now. So you have essentially 18 voices that Brian is putting together in California Girls. And that first, what, 25 seconds or so, that spare string orchestral prelude, which is that that tapping on the cymbal and some horns toward the toward the close. I mean, just that 28 seconds is good enough for me. You get a whole song after that. Also the first time that you really hear Bruce Johnston on vocals. Uh, Bruce Johnston is the the second occurrence of, you know, Wish They All Could Be in the chorus. He had just really come on to, to do things with the band. You hear him on California Girls. Carol Kay's bass line on California Girls is just fantastic. I always think in my mind that it's a faster f- song. It's a quicker pace song. And it's not. It's not sluggish, but it, it it is not as fast as I normally think it is in my mind when I listen back to it. But California Girls is such a good one. Um, what else on here? Um, Let Them Run Wild, a great one. You're So Good to Me, late on the second track. It's almost more of like a Motown soul song. Muted instrument, instrumentation, really, the, the, there's these la-la-la-las from, from the band that really carry the song through. It's an enjoyable track, um, kind of up-tempo track, Motown-esque track that I really like a lot. I don't think that Summer Days is quite perhaps as good as, as Jeff claims it to be or argues it is but there's some really nice Factually highlights states yeah, I that know, it is. I know, I know. Uh, and I, again, I really, I, Girl from New York City, go check that out if you haven't heard it. You probably haven't. It's a, it's a really good one. The difference between an adequate song and a number what hints single is no better illustrated than the difference between Help Me Rhonda on Beach Boys Today and Help Me Rhonda on Summer Days and Summer Nights. All right, as we talked about earlier, it's such a confused recording on um, the, the the Today version. Obviously, Brian is in a rush. You've got to get the album out in time for the tour, blah, 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 financial constraints. Uh, but then you have, just like with Be True to Your School, you know, he was like, you know what, I can do this better. And so they re-recorded it. And then ironically, this one becomes the number one single. So that's why two albums in a row have to feature it you know, as, as like a song. <laughs> um, but if you don't like the bippin' boppin' bouncing bass line that Carol Kay plays on Help Me Rhonda, the it's literally like like a like a like a wacky fun ball bouncing around a padded room. Well, since she put me down, Help me, Rhonda, help, 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 help me, Rhonda, help,
I, I listen to that and I think that I remember that Brian Wilson wrote every one of those notes. Yep. And you can hear the sessions telling her how to play every single note on that bass line. <laughs> and I just think of all of the orchestration. This is it sounds like it's a it's a rock group or maybe even a bunch of studio pros, but you must remember. And we now have there's a massive league of Beach Boys uh, bootlegs. Basically their entire studio sessions of, you know, literally not just the tracks themselves, but like the talk back and the stuff in between takes of Wilson talking to people. They really actually they taped all of it. Thank God for it. Most of it is out now. And so you can hear him instructing them how to play. This is how uh, boxed sets like the pet sound sessions and the smile sessions were like ultimately compiled because we had this material you can hear wilson telling everybody okay you play this you play this no 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 too loud there back off no 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 you're hitting that note too quickly not as much emphasis he knew exactly what he wanted to hear on all of these things which tells you that he's going in a very different direction than the rest of the rock world at this point he's going to earn something towards something far more orchestrated and that's why it's telling that the best song on this album and I think maybe my favorite Beach Boys song of all time, period, uh, had a working title of I Hate Rock and Roll. <laughs> that was the name of the song. And what was that song? That song is Let Him Run Wild, which, as I said, I think is maybe the best thing the Beach Boys ever did. I, 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 I yield to no man and my admiration for Smile, for Pet Sounds, but I just think this is so majestic. This is the song that Brian Wilson himself doesn't like. He thinks he doesn't like the sound of his own voice. Too high, too squeaky. He says he sounds like a sissy on it. Well, Brian, you know, you are the genius who wrote it, but I'm sorry I'm overruling you here. <laughs> when, you know, before... When he just gets to that chorus where he says, I'm going to take him over, and then the, the band, the, the other guys come and said, let him run wild, he don't care. Let him run wild, he'll find out. There's nothing rock about this anymore. It is purely, I guess, orchestral pop, if you will. But the changes and sort of the weird rhythmic gyrations of it are so alien to anything else that you'd find, you know, from the Stones or the Who or the Beatles or the Birds or the Dylan or anything else that was popular top 40 material at that time, the Turtles were not doing Let Him Run Wild, all right? Only Brian Wilson was doing that song. And then it's, again, you know, uh, very telling that the rest of the band says this too, that they said, like, here's the moment that we knew something was really changing for us, was changing for the direction that we were heading in. They all, they don't point to, you know, pet sounds. They don't say it happened on the Beach Boys t today. They say it happened with Let Him Run Wild, which is the moment where pet sounds becomes inevitable. The ability to sort of to take that sound and to realize it and to be working outside of a guitar-based rock or, you know, the simple changes. Even California Girls, aside from that orchestral in introduction, it's a, a pretty simple, like, you know, the, the little, you know, the little circus organ. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Very simple thing. Um, Let Him Run Wild is complex. It's it's Baccarat. It's, it's something that had heretofore not been done in the Beach Boys catalog, and it is the sound of the future for this band. All the dreams you shared with him.
you know, I guess the only thing to say is that that future would be coming very soon. Brian finally realizes his lifelong ambition to put together the sound of his dreams, the sound of his heart, his soul, uh, you know, a, a true expression of his artistic genius and his integrity. And he finally does it with the Beach Boys Party. <laughs> which is an album unfortunately we have to discuss because what happens yes you know they're, they're, they're actually recording pet sounds in the studio at the time but of course they're taking so long to do it because brian is being brian and at this point he's become a, a fuss budget perfectionist and uh so you know the capital is saying listen buddy you know you, you know you, you need some new product you're not selling anything so what do they do they run into the studio to knock off a party record people don't realize this these days but part Party records used to be a thing in the 60s. This is sort of like the West Coast answer to like Hootenannies. Um, you know, or you know, like, sort of like, you know, everybody gets together, you know, and like goes like, ooh, yeah, we all listen to some songs and have some laughs, and you record it and you release it. So this was their party album. And it even says it actually on the cover. It says recorded in quotes yeah, live <laughs> at a Beach Boys party. Thankfully, you know, maybe they didn't want to they didn't want to lie outright because there's not a thing about this album that's live. Brian Wilson couldn't help himself. He's still a perfectionist. These are all studio takes of songs that are done very quietly with very carefully done vocals. And then later on, they overdubbed party noises. It, ironically enough, was a massive hit. It spawned a number one hit single, maybe the most annoying. People say that Kokomo is the worst Beach Boys hit single of all time. <laughs> My friends, no. do you remember Barbara Ann? It's awful. It's awful. Oh, God. <laughs> Tell me, Scott. Tell me how bad well, Barbara Ann is. Well, okay. Now I have to go. I have to go way back. When I was in eighth grade, we ended up doing this. Uh, it, it's, it's a longer story, and one that doesn't fit here quite well. But we, we ended up singing a b bunch of rock songs from the 60s through current day which that was 1994 and so we, we choose what we're going to do and a little this a little that and I, I don't know how the decision was made to we were going to sing Barbara Ann and uh I so I had to listen to Barbara Ann like I don't know how many dozens of times as we practiced the harmonies and the melodies and how we're going to do this and that and that is when my hatred for Barbara Ann truly began <laughs> but now listening back to it as uh, as a as a cultured adult I can say it's just as bad as I thought it was it's yep. hor it's horrific you know Dean Torrance is singing he he can't sing right uh, there's some outtakes right where uh, Brian is is asking him to sing on to, on key uh, in, <laughs> you know he can't do it and it's it's just an awful awful song and, and to the point where I, I will be honest with you I have virtually listened to none uh, of Party outside of hearing Barbara Ann I feel that's uh, that I've already done what I need to do with Party that that's it uh, Barbara Ann's a terrible song and yet as as uh, Jeff mentioned it, it hit it hit number one ba, 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 Barbara Ann ba, 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 Barbara Ann They had to play it the rest of their career, you know, especially in these current they days. They like it. It's yeah. like they like it almost as much as they like Kokomo. Right. I they just, love Kokomo. Goodness. They love it. That's one of the great things about the Beach Boys is that what the, your experience of them is not going to be their experience of them. <laughs> right. Uh, a, a good pal of mine went to 
um, who's a bigger Beach Boys fan than all of us, maybe, um, uh, went to like you know some L.A. person with a tangential relationship with the Beach Boys had died, and there was like a big thing at the Roxy or something, and most of the Beach Boys were there, and um, and you could see that they were the happiest when they played Kokomo. They're like, yes, finally, <laughs> here comes Kokomo. Uh, I, uh, I I I find Beach Boys Party um, uh, charming and uh, and not worth listening more than maybe once. Um, it's charming in that uh, it, it is completely convincing that this is a, a hootenanny concert until I think you realize that uh, Mike Love's uh, lead vocals is being uh, double tracked <laughs> on on uh, on one of these things. Um, <laughs> There's three songs here uh, that are uh, three or four uh, that that are worth a listen. Barbara Ann, uh, the single cut version is is much better than the album version because it has a like a postscript of of, of gobbledygook. I mean, as you hear guitar tuning and and like chatter throughout the whole uh, thing. But there's no other like my baby. It's yes. just a, a really fine, just kind of uh, in mid career form these guys could just sing your socks off and they do it here and it's really well done and uh um and nice um uh i'm gonna let jeff talk about devoted to you the everly brothers song which is really sweet um but uh they do a couple of Beatles songs in here not particularly well the one that they do well uh is a particularly bad Beatles song although it's Stuart varney's favorite Beatles song i think uh, it is uh and we we argued about this once on on fox business network uh, together about this uh tell me why um <laughs> which is kind of a garbage Beatles song mostly because they couldn't do falsetto back then uh that's in the middle of the uh, uh middle of the song but the beach boys do pretty uh, pretty good uh, version of it um uh here unlike the other uh, Beatles songs don't ever listen to the times they are a changing oh, on no, this record. Yeah, they, Al, Al will, Jardine insisted on that one. Yes, not so You good. will not be happy about that. Uh, uh, they goof off a couple of their own songs. They do Little Deuce Coop and uh, I Get Around. And, and no matter how hard you try to screw up I Get Around, when they're like, oh, but we can still do these vocals here, right? You go, my God, what a great song that they're trying that's, to that's ruin the, that's here. That's the thing. Like, they, can't, they, they can't mess up the harmonies because they know the harmonies <laughs> in their sleep. You can't. But yeah. Devoted to You is very, very sweet sweet and tight and i i would love to hear jeff talk i just think that it, one of the they actually released these entire there were a ton more songs they recorded by the way for these sessions that they didn't release and actually if you hear them uh, unadorned with the stupid party sounds and just as the full takes it, it actually becomes a very fun kind of like here's the beach boys just sort of recording some of their favorite songs in the studio very low key with acoustic guitar and of course they're singing these gorgeous harmonies and best of all there's no freaking barbara ann uh but the one that you have to hear is devoted to you and i hope we can drop in the clip they finally did get get around to releasing it even just on one of these various compilations unadorned uh, where they they sing in these very tight harmonies the everly brothers of course were famous and hugely influential on the beach boys for their harmonies and you have brian and mike and carl and dennis just singing these four-part harmonies doing such a beautiful job just do a very quiet acoustic guitar arrangement nothing more nothing less but sometimes less is more Darling, you can count on me Till the sun dries up the sea Until then I'll always be devoted to you 
charm sublime Guess by now you know that I'm devoted to you I'll never hurt you, I'll never lie And I really do appreciate the understatement of it. Of course, when you hear it on the Beach Boys Party album, it's got like people talking about, hey, hand me the potato chips all over it. So it just becomes stupid. That's really all that we need to say about <laughs> Beach Boys Party. What we do need to do is end this installment of the show with a little album uh, that some people are a fan of. It has its fans. I don't know. It's a bit controversial. It's something called Pet Sounds. <laughs> I think this is the one that everyone's been waiting for if you're listening to the podcast. What was this? This is the album that had been in germination since the middle of 1965 for the Beach Boys. They're out touring. Brian is at home, probably smoking uh, incredible amounts of dope, uh, doing God only knows what, probably taking acid. What did he do? He, this is, by the way, indicative of the fragile state of Brian Wilson's mind at this time. He, he found his newest lyricist because he saw an advertisement on television for a bank, a California bank, and he cried at the uh, the moving nature of this bank commercial. And he said, "Get me the ad man who wrote that spot. Uh, who does that? Uh, Brian Wilson does that. And who was the man who had written that bank spot? It was a man named Tony Asher, who has never gone on to do anything else in music. He, this is his one shot deal. But hey, if you're going to have one shot, <laughs> one bad. shot was Pet Sounds. Yeah. You know, that's pretty good. That's the man." <laughs> who co-wrote all of the, the lyrics on Pet Sounds with Brian. And this, of course, is hugely alienating for Mike Love. Mike Love had previously been Brian's, you know, Roger Christian had been in the picture, but then out. But most of the big hits for the Beach Boys had been Mike Love and Brian Wilson collaborating. And it really was collaborating. Love was really doing these lyrics, but while Wilson was doing the music. Well, now suddenly Wilson's writing with this other guy. And what is he doing? He's coming up with this completely non-rock music. Very, you know, basically impossible, functionally impossible to play on the road. Not very peppy or upbeat, not very commercial. And it's taking forever to get done. This is why Party had to be written. The first hint that you ever get of, of what this album is going to be is completely unrepresentative. They, they release a song uh, that Al Jardine had brought to the group called Sloop John B. It's an old folk song. Um, I actually knew the old folk song from like earlier stuff, like the, the Kingston Trio and stuff like that. My dad was a fan of like folk groups like that, and um, and you know it's it's kind of a fun pop song. The arrangement is insane. The bass line alone, oh, I, could, I could write a dissertation on. But it has nothing to do with the mood of the rest of this album, which is so different from everything else the Beach Boys had done up until this point. That it, maybe it was almost foreordained that this would be a massive commercial flop of course nobody thinks about it like that at this late date we think about this as the beach boys true masterpiece the single greatest album they ever did maybe one of the most important albums in the history of popular music and oh god what do you say about pet sounds wrong that it was a flop it went to number 10 
And, you know, the other the party record went to number six and the summer days went to number two and the today was number four and the Christmas album was numbers. You know, they it, it sold some records. They had more than one top 10 songs. Loop John B went to number two. Wouldn't it be nice? My God, what a song. Uh, number eight. God only knows went to number 39. Um, so I think that in the the because this is around the time when the Mike Love Brian Wilson split comes o- o- open the the split of Brian Wilson's head comes open <laughs> uh and, and they're about ready to do smile he's taking longer and longer to do these things it was a disappointment to be sure and part of the disappointment comes from they've been spending so much money <laughs> I mean, that was this is taking a long time they're racking up uh, the dollar signs uh, here. So the, there's a lot of different kind of expectations that are built into it. Uh, but I think that we might in in trying to uh, talk about the drama of this um, uh, overstate how much of like a, a failure it was or how much people like what? What a drastic new direction. Because as we have seen, um, Beach Boys today and half of Summer Days and Summer Nights was kind of a lot like this. We were foreshadowing this uh, this. Uh, the kind of moodiness, the uh, the the mid '60s instrumental orchestration uh, kind of bits, and there's also some winning, just straight up winning pop uh, over here. I mean, the, the record begins with "Wouldn't It Be Nice," and I got to tell you, um, there's a reason why you don't like, you know, if you're at some jerk ass Irish bar in, in Midtown Manhattan, they're never playing a Beach Boys song. You ever notice that? <laughs> you're gonna hear lots of Beatles. You're gonna hear like John Cougar. You're gonna hear Tom Petty. You're gonna hear lots of stuff. You're never gonna hear the Beach Boys. Uh, partly is because they don't have five, you know, inbred cousins who sing perfectly like one another. Um, uh, 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 but uh, also because they're not playing the piano. Uh, and um, as the the great uh, uh, Love and Mercy uh, 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 movie uh, shows us like when when Brian Wilson's out there like trying to work out uh, God only knows in a in a kind of uh, fingers on chalkboard scene with his dad not being impressed with this you know absolutely classic uh, pop song. Uh, yeah, this is a piano uh, moment. So, anyways, I, I I discovered this on Wouldn't It Be Nice because I was uh, asked or uh, my friend got married a year and a half or so ago. And uh, and friends of mine wanted to surprise him with a with a song, so we thought, okay, let's let's work on this bi coastally with my LA friends, and we'll just like figure out. Wouldn't it be nice? Can't be that hard, right? <laughs> Crap! Uh, I, I don't. <laughs> Little think, did you know, <laughs> there are like seven chords in there that I had no idea existed. Just like C augmented armpit fart twelfth. Uh, uh, it's it, it, and again, you don't feel like that sense as you do sometimes in uh, in Brian Wilson compositions of uh, like oh he's just showing off you know um no it, it makes internal logic there's these crazy jazz chords that don't occur to people they're piano chords um but it's also a completely comprehensible digestible uh pop song and that's one of the i think reasons why pet sounds resonates there is that you do have this mi- mix
John B., which, a uh, fun fact about that song, when they first went to that very first recording studio in L.A. in 1961, and the guy's like, what do you got, kid? Uh, they're like, oh, I don't know, staring at their shoes. Um, they tried Sloop John B., uh, and they're like, kid, kids, whatever. Um, that's not original. Everyone's doing Sloop John B. Uh, speaking of which, that's a fun thing to do is go back to your Kingston trio and everybody. Everybody did do Sloop John B. And yet, as soon as you hear Sloop John B., they do to that song what Jimi Hendrix did to All Along the Watchtower, mm-hmm. which is just remove any reason why you should ever think about other versions. Yeah, there's, of no, that. there's no other Sloop John B. anymore. It's the Beach Boys song. It's, it might as well have been written by Brian Wilson. Uh, so incredible. And go and read your uh, your histories on the Wrecking Crew and elsewhere. The, 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 it's bananas. Uh, like, like, he's just got to get that 12-string guitar for Glenn Campbell right now, and it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and who's got the only 12-string guitar in Los Angeles, California? The recording sessions of these was just insane. And again, Love and Mercy is wonderful in, in showing uh, this and in a, in a way that just rings very true. There's actually since there's quite a bit of footage uh, from from this. It's this moody record. Uh, yes, uh, you know the uh, the you still believe in me uh, is one that uh, that stops me dead uh, every time. I don't like you know Caroline. No, there's some songs on here that don't speak to me at all, and uh, and uh, and I felt are kind of uh, overdone. Uh, but you still believe in me, uh, especially uh, is just this uh, exercise in melody, uh, and and then oh my god. Those of you who are listening to this, if you haven't heard, uh, what do they call it, uh, Jeff? Is this uh, just the Beach Boys naked or I don't? There no, are no, collect- there's the pet sound sessions. Is that what you're talking about? There's the a pet sound. sound. There's a, in the pet sound sessions box. They just have the have the harmonies. They've and got the, the vocals only. Tracks. Yes, exactly. They've got the they've vocals, vocals only. And and my friends, my brothers and sisters, the boys came in off the road with this incredible record sitting out there. And they're probably like, what are you doing, Brian, uh, on a lot of it? Uh, and he said, don't worry about it. Here's the harmonies. And they banged those out in like two days, <laughs> three days. That's it. Uh, these uh, And mostly gathered around the same mic. Um, the instrument that they had uh, at that moment and, the, and, the, and the, the level that they had, not just in the writing of it and the production of it, which we all can you know throw all the... Uh, these dudes can sing. These dudes can, they are in, in maximum power of their 
uh, of their uh, vocal harmonies and their singing uh, together. And Brian Wilson is at the maximum power of his writing inventive cross harmonies and everything. That's why it all combines to this. And this is why people rightly treat it as a classic. As I said, I said it in my, my big tweet storm thread, what you need to do is just go listen to the isolated vocals for Wouldn't It Be Nice? Mm. And it's like it's 16 Beach Boys, of course. They, they've overdubbed themselves like four times. And it's just amazing. I think it's, I think it is, in my opinion, they, there are more complex vocal arrangements that the Beach Boys would do. Heroes and Villains um, is probably more complex if you actually go to like all the various parts that they have to sing later on. But uh, if you listen to what they do, like, wouldn't it be nice if we could wake up in the morning when the day is new and after having spent the day together, hold each other close the whole night through? Oh my God! Just to, just to hear them, you don't need the music. And that's, by the way, the the, the true indication of a brilliant composition that you don't need the underlying musical track to know the progression of the chords and the melody everything is just suggested by the progression of the harmonies themselves it is one of the most perfect pop musical arrangements of all time you know it's gonna make it that much better when we can say goodnight and stay together wouldn't it be nice if we Happy times together we've been spending I wish that every kiss was ever ending But wouldn't it be nice I, I, I want to let Scott talk about this But I will, by, you know, by way of a small prelude, say only this <laughs> The worst criticism that I can make of Pet Sounds is that it's not perfect I, Like Matt, I, I don't much care for Caroline No, It was released, by the way, as a solo Right. Brian Wilson single slightly before the album. I have no idea why. I think it's one of the weakest songs on here. Uh, you still believe in me? That's a favorite of Matt's. That's a favorite. That's maybe Paul McCartney says it's his favorite Beach Boys song. Uh, I don't really like it that much. I, I think that other it, when you get to that final like uh, fade out that wrecks me but the actual song itself doesn't do too much for me and maybe that's not me you know with mike love doing his adenoidal mike love thing on that mm, yeah, it's it's not bad but it's not great but beyond that everything is great here and not just by the way the lyrical songs the instrumental songs are great i know people who think let's go away for a while is the best beach boy song ever recorded <laughs> and it's just an instrumental but that out of position bass line that's playing a note that isn't in the scale of the chord of the key that it starts in i just love it it sets this tone it, 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 it's both it creates this sort of sense of momentousness that t it, and you feel like you're on a plane flight you're you're flying to hawaii you're flying to some paradise you're flying away from the hugger mugger of the everyday world um and it's 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 a brilliant little escape from the rest of what is you know an album with a lot of psychological turmoil but scott yes so i this is where i feel a little unequipped to ill-equipped to, to discuss I, we were emailing back and forth you know jeff is i love the beach boys but jeff's you know a super fan and matt kind of has some of the musical knowledge that i don't i don't write and i don't really play so i'm the guy in the corner that you kind of says man those harmonies are great that's how i kind of feel talking about pet sounds it's it's difficult for me to to say exactly these things that make it so special except 
the way it makes you feel um, and, and, and the way that you react to the music. You know, there's, there's, there's not a lot of drums on the album. Um, there's, there's not like, there's not grooves. These songs just sort of float in one direction and then they, then they change. There's a tempo shift or a in, new instrument or, or a ter- you know, an entirely new key introduced and they go somewhere else. Um, I think there are three songs from this era of the Beach Boys that have their contenders for like most perfect pop song. I already mentioned uh, I Get Around, I think is just perfect. And the other two are on this album. Uh, and, and one is uh, Wouldn't It Be Nice, which Matt spent some time discussing. And, and the other is God Only Knows, which I know Jeff is going to talk about in a second. But go back to Wouldn't It Be Nice for a little bit. Man, oh man, that's uh, so many great moments. Much like I Get Around, there's so much Packed into the corners of "Wouldn't It Be Nice," the way, uh, the way it slows to a crawl on that second pass through of you know, you know, the more it hurts to uh, um, talk about it, and then, but let's talk about it. And it's just great. There's this horn that comes in uh, over, uh, you know, it's going to make it that much better, which is fantastic. There's not a lot of guitar on the song. It's only really in the intro and in the in the middle eight. Um, and then Mike Love's contribution over the over the close, the good night, sleep tight, baby. It's just outstanding. Um, and, you know, Sloop John B, I've come to really appreciate over the years more and more as a song. And Al, as you mentioned, brought it into the band. Al and Mike and, and, and Brian's vocals are, are fantastic. The acapella break on Sloop John B is, is just mind-blowing. Um, you know, the way the bass kind of gallops and the pace quickens from that final verse into the chorus and the, and the backing vocals re-enter the picture, man, just takes you away somewhere else. It's, it's, it's great. You know, the tracks that have been mentioned, I am, uh, I'm Team Matt on You Still Believe in Me. That's one of my very favorites on the album. Just incredible melody. And uh, even Jeff uh, admits that part of the end where it starts to fade away and then, then comes back for those, that harmony close is great. Just great. Um, oh, do you, do you like the little children's bicycle horn? Damn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> two, two times right over the clothes. Uh, I'm Waiting for the Day is a great song. And, and again, specifically, uh, the very end, that, that string interlude in, into the final portion, the coda of I'm Waiting for the Day is, is magical. They do that a, a lot on this record. Yeah. Like there's a there's a third act, right? Uh, like escalation or or weirdness. All right, like it's Mike Love only only my, the time he really gets in on Soup Jam B. He comes in to blow our minds. <laughs> this is the worst trip I've ever been on. Oh, dude, they're all on acid. We're dying. Right? <laughs> you know, by the uh, way, that's the funny thing that like, Sloop John B is very subtly written, rewritten as a song about a bad acid trip. And that's the story of Pet Sounds is that like, this is Brian taking LSD, which comes up on I Know There's an Answer. Um, but like, yeah, it, it's, you know, of course it's about like a bad sailing trip, but of course it's really about a bad acid trip. And then when, when Mike sings like, this is the worst trip I've ever been on, you realize like, oh no, he, he dosed too hard. <laughs> <laughs> he needs he needs some orange wedges to, to like chill out now. Oh no. Oh, 
elements here that uh, like in those kind of end of song weirdnesses right like uh, uh, Scott you talked about the uh, the uh, kind of coda to wouldn't it be nice Mike Love's doing some weird things good night they don't do that a lot in their other parts of, I mean they do it afterwards after the kind of psychotic break but up <laughs> until now they hadn't been acting weird they're, they just, they're little bits of acting weird. And you see this like also in the Beatles White Album, right? Just like little things at the ends of songs that kind of like, huh, what's, what's good? The, that, that escalated fast or that was a, a strange detail. That's one of the things that is, that is uh, rewarded on uh, repeat listenings, as is um, uh, just the, I think, the purest distilled uh, Beach Boys that there is, which is the end of uh, God Only Knows. Mm-hmm. It is, three different parts of vocal harmonies building on each other and lines building on each other uh and you can't believe it it's enveloping your mind you're like that dude in the internet meme looking at all of the (laughs) the math calculations going around but it's super it's super simple they're all like these mobius strips kind of like uh enveloping you in this warmthness um that is uh, that's kind of that's the ideal of, of of vocal pop music and i think most people uh, who are, I mean, the Paul McCartney's of the world will just flat out admit that they can't top that. Uh, that the thing that that happens in that song. Um, and again, uh, I talked about it earlier. Like uh, sometimes you play the game of find the key this one is in. Um, I, uh, I I challenge anyone to try to ever play God Only Knows and figure out where, where anything is at. And yet you don't feel that sense of, of, of uh, you know, complete untetheredness there's just a disquiet or a or you know a a a little bit of a wrong footness before an excitement it's uh it's just it's it's such marvelous uh pop making uh here and it will reward you you will find songs like uh especially uh waiting for the day and uh and uh and here today um which are just you know you're not gonna see them in the wild you're not going to um uh uh, you're not going to be like hanging out at a it's, mall right. somewhere it's impossible. drinking a cup of coffee and here I'm waiting for the day. It's just not ever going to occur. Um, so it's this thing that lives on pet sounds. It's there for you. Um, and it will, it can uh, selectively, it'll work on some songs and it won't on other ones. Um, just adhere to you, uh, smuggle itself inside of your, you know, spirit consciousness. It's great. It, it, the story of this album I actually feel like can almost be told with you know, a few songs taken you know in sequence. So like, I this is a, this is an album about Brian's like increasing psychological isolation. Uh, you know, he, him alone at home. You know, sort of a fragile ego, 
and then you know the, the boys are out on the road and they got to deal with this stuff. They're really not sure. But you know the thing is, is that you, this is one of the reasons why I liked Love and Mercy because it didn't make Mike Love into the supervillain that a lot of other accounts make him into as. You know, he wasn't coming and saying like, "Oh, this is crap. This sucks." You know, you're an idiot, Brian. He was actually making a really good point. It's like Brian. How can we play this music? <laughs> who, who, nobody wants to hear this music. This music won't sell. I have to keep these people together. And, and the, the discussions that they had, and you see, it, you see it recounted in the film, they felt real. They felt like, okay, that, that's not like, you know, oh, Mike Love's super jerk. Mike Love is probably a super jerk, but he was actually raising like real concerns for the rest of the group who liked this music and thought it was wonderful, but also like had realistic concerns about, well, what are we supposed to do? But Brian, of course, is sitting at home and he's writing songs like Don't Talk, Put Your Head on My Shoulder. Don't Talk is a song that is nominally a love song. You know, uh, you know, don't talk, put your head on my shoulder and listen to my heart beat. Um, but it doesn't sound like a love song. It sounds like, you know, Mozart's Requiem. It sounds like the ghost of Christmas past clanking his <laughs> chains in the night. It sounds like death is coming for you. You know, it opens with this this very gloomy, sort of like low viola and like, you know, this, this clanking rhythm. And it should drag, but no, it ends up being immensely moving. Moving, uh, precisely because the purity of the emotion comes through on it. And then, of course, there, the, the, the next one I feel that is, is emblematic of this is I Know There's an Answer, which I think is one of my favorite songs on the record. Uh, this is a song that used to be called Hang On to Your Ego. And, and by the way, you know, you know, Love and Wilson had, you know, obviously had a big split here because of the introduction of Tony Asher and sort of Wilson's turn towards this moody, gloomy music. But one of the great contributions that Michael Love made to the album was insisting that Brian rewrite the lyric to that song because the original lyric was like, hang on to your ego, hang on, but I know that you're going to lose the fight, uh, which is basically saying like, if you take enough LSD, you're going to enter the universal consciousness of the, of, of the slipstream and lose your mind. And, you know, Mike Love is sitting there very justifiably saying like, Brian, that's not a good thing. Like, <laughs> we, we shouldn't be encouraging people to like, you know, like go lose their minds. And in fact, buddy, you might want to chill a little bit on the acid yourself. And so he rewrote it. So like, this should be a song about finding yourself. And then what you get is I know there's an answer, which is like has three lead vocals. It's not just it's Brian, it's Mike and it's Al. And they're trading off lines. And then when it gets to that great chorus with the I know there's an answer. I know now, but I had to find it for myself. What a great, great Line. Now what can you tell them? And what can you say that would make them defensive?
And of course, it ends to me. My, you know, the story of this album ends with uh, sort of, to me, you know, one of the penultimate songs on the record is "I Just Wasn't Made for These Times," which in any other context could be seen as sort of pathetic, you know, a little bit too much on the self pity. Uh, I, you know, I keep looking for a place to fit in. No one understands me. I guess I just wasn't made for these times, but when it's first of all written with music this moving but also such a brilliant arrangement uh, first use of the theremin on a beach boys uh song which is going to come back a little later uh we're going to hear it a lot more prominently in another hit they're going to have in a few months um but you know when he you know, gets to the you know they say i've got brains but it ain't doing me no good i wish it could i guess i just wasn't made for these times and then the rest of the band comes in sort of consolatory behind him i guess i just wasn't made for these times it almost feels like he's apologizing to you i'm sorry <clears throat> i'm sorry for laying my trip on you i'm sorry for all this weird music that it, maybe it wasn't what you expected but this is where i am as a person and of course, it's sad and it's moving because it, you wonder why anybody would feel the need to apologize for God Only Knows. A song like that, a song which is maybe one of the most perfect songs ever written in popular music. I mean, my confession, you know, Matt talked about working this up for his friends, for their wedding, for a friend's wedding. Uh, I, um, I, walked down the aisle to God Only Knows with my wife. Uh, and it was her pick. She's a big Beach Boys fan, too. Pet Sounds, when, when I first met her, you know, I was looking through her record collection. This is how you evaluate a potential future <laughs> wife, by the way. You know, like, what does she have? She had a lot of really great stuff. And I saw Pet Sounds. I was like, oh, you like Pet Sounds? She's like, I love Pet Sounds. I was like, hmm, man, this could be the one. Turns out I was right. We love that song. And, you know, Matt talked about how many key changes. I believe there are five separate key changes in God Only Knows. That song carries you around the world and back again, and you don't even realize that it's happening. And then when it get yeah, when it finally gets to that that ending where you know God only knows what I'd be without you, and there's like six different Beach Boys singing six different parts, and it's just it's it's a song that is so preternaturally beautiful that it, it almost makes you feel ashamed. And embarrassed on behalf of Brian that he would have felt the need to say, "Look, I'm sorry for this. This isn't what you wanted, but this is this is what I feel. This is the music that's in my heart, and that's one of the reasons maybe why emotionally I think a lot of people, me, for sure, relate to Pet Sounds so in, so intensely because this is, is is music that comes straight from his soul. The, 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 there are so many legends that have been written about Pet Sounds, but I think one of the reason all these this this sort of legendary slobbering over the album accumulates is because it's justified. This is the album that you were we, the only one in the Beach Boys career where Brian brought it off. Smile. We'll talk about that in our next installment. You know, I think that's also almost equally as genius. But it's a very different beast, and of course, it never came out in the day. Uh, on here, on Pet Sounds, they bring it off. They actually, Brian got it. He he got he chased after the sound. It reminds me of Quadrophenia. You know, the Who burned out in a major way after Quadrophenia. But what what at least Pete Townsend can say is like, you know, what I was going for, I got it. I got it on Quadrophenia. What Brian was going for on Pet Sounds. He got it on Pet Sounds.
I guess, you know, uh, if unless you guys have anything more to add, that is, I suppose, where we're going to end for today. I would just point uh, 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 at one song that uh, is kind of a foreshadower that we didn't talk about because it's the one thing that was recorded and released in between the party record and Pet Sounds, which is The Little Girl I Once Knew. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, been largely forgotten by time uh, for whatever reason. Um, and I think it contributes to... Uh, Brian's sense of anxiety about uh, the way that his uh, music is being released because or being uh, accepted because it only made it to number 20. And this is back when they were expecting to do a lot uh, better from that incredibly inventive, uh, strange, wonderful, and still catchy uh, pop song starts with this crazy instrumental uh, kind of beginning and um, several times in it has a good solid four or five second silence <laughs> right <laughs> just john cage in here uh why don't we uh it, it doesn't sound that radical now uh, uh thinking about it but of course that's a crazy radical break and i was just looking at this uh today on wikipedia there's this great quote so this is in, in uh, uh, uh recorded i think in october 65 released in november 65 and the party record had been released in uh september uh and um uh, and Pet Sounds would come out, I believe, like in March of uh, the next year. Um, But they're busy working on Pet Sounds and and starting the formulation of this. Here's the quote uh, from John Lennon. And think about where the Beatles are at right now in late 65. They're right now um, starting uh, the studio portion of their career. They have maybe decided by then to uh, finally quit the road and, and spend all their time in the studio. Here's a quote from John Lennon about this song. This is the greatest Turn it up. Turn it right up. It's got to be a hit. It's the greatest record I've heard for weeks. It's fantastic. I hope it'll be a hit. It's all Brian Wilson. He just uses the voices as instruments. He never tours or anything. He just sits at home thinking up fantastic arrangements out of his head. Doesn't even read music. You keep waiting for the fabulous breaks. Great arrangement. It goes on and on with all different things. I think Lennon was speeding a little bit here. Um, (laughs) I hope it's a hit so I can hear it all the time, which is a funny shout out throwback to when you couldn't just listen to everything how could i ever have known that she'd be what she is today and look at how her boyfriend holds her i'll be moving in one day split man she's not There's so much in that quote that's uh, that is poignant um, because, yes, he has this great luxury of sitting at home, coming up with all these things in his head. But you know what else was in his head? 
oral hallucinations. A U R A L. Yes, uh, literally. Um, uh, he was having uh, psycho- psychotic breakdowns, uh, and and as you know, we just spent the better part of two hours talking about a hell of a lot of work that this man had put and his family had put in uh, over the previous three or four years. Holy crap. And the kind of relentless pressure to to keep advancing the ball like i'm going to make every record sound better and more interesting i'm going to chase this concept and that concept and react to a moment where technology is expanding like crazy as is the audience um a little bit of pressure let's say on there and he throws out uh, the little girl i once knew um it, it's kind of given a middling reception uh and and he's making uh you know his teenage symphony to god or whatever he he used to uh, refer to it is this was his uh uh this and smile were were his statements uh definitive statements out in the world so anything less than um a, a total rapturous reception was going to be a disappointment and it might that might have also cracked him too cuz he was in such a precarious state i think that's like and and let's remember Dude was 24. <laughs> Dude was 24. And boy, what a preview for what comes in our next episode, which is when uh, all those chickens come home to roost. That's uh, it for part one of Political Beats on the Beach Boys. And as we do with our multi-part episodes uh, for each era, we do recommend our two albums that you should own and five songs that you just have to hear from our band. On the Beach Boys, we turn it over to Matt Welch first. Matt? Pet sounds, sorry to be obvious, just that good. Uh, and I will take summer days and summer nights uh, out, of, out of this uh, thing. I think it's always instructive, although they're unreliable narrators about what they like. But that Brian Wilson uh, really prefers that or likes it uh, is an interesting thing to see. And it's uh, it it's not only just a great record, but it's also uh, a snapshot of uh, an artist and a group uh, changing. Uh, as far as songs... Uh, going to say god only knows wouldn't it be nice california girls don't worry baby and then i have to say um i have to throw at least one curveball in here i'll just say um uh uh uh, surfer girl um just because it has such uh strong emotional resonance uh to me having to do with my marriage and other things like that uh it's a very sweet song uh my two albums uh will be pet sounds and uh, Beach Boys today, I-, I think just very clearly from the era that we've covered in this episode, those are the two that that you should have and you should own. Uh, in terms of songs, I mean, sometimes I mean, this top five is, you know, you can pick whatever you want. That's the way it is in every episode. But sometimes I think we use it to sort of highlight, you know, deep tracks that you should know. Uh, Beach Boys didn't have a ton of deep tracks you should know. Uh, my five are all relatively and in some cases, extremely well-known Beach Boy songs, but I think that they are the absolute best of the best from this era. Uh, the three uh, I just mentioned that have the case for, I think, perfect pop songs are I Get Around, Wouldn't It Be Nice, and God Only Knows. And if there's someone out there that hasn't heard any of those three songs, listen to them right now. Just stop and do it. Uh, the other two I will put on the list from uh, Beach Boys Today... When I Grow Up to Be a Man, and uh, from Shutdown Volume 2, Don't Worry Baby is uh, on a, in a pretty bad album. Don't Worry Baby stands above virtually everything else. Uh, very tall. Just a fantastic song. I mean, th- those five, I, 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 I um, 
for me, they were relatively easy choices. I mean, I just went through. Those are the five that really stick out to me as being the best of the best from this early Beach Boys era. Jeff? First of all, stipulating that you need to have all four of those, the last studio albums from this period. You need to have all summer long, today, summer days, and pet sounds. But if I had to winnow it down to two, I'll say it's Beach Boys today, and it's obviously pet sounds. What, you think I'm the guy who's going to say don't get pet sounds? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm not that much of a contrarian. Uh, for my top five picks, well, I'm going to start with Don't Back Down off of all summer long that's that's the moment where you know brian is talking to himself giving himself some self-hype uh she knows me too well it's just such a beautifully psychologically penetrative song off of today and maybe kind of one of the more naked you know painfully vulnerable confessions of inadequacy you'll ever hear on a rock song um let him run wild is it maybe my favorite beach boy song of all time well it's it's certainly you know one or one a one b something like that um from pet sounds i'll say i know that there's an answer and god only knows i could pick so many songs from this record but i know there's an answer is a song that always spoke to me on a personal level and god only knows why i love that song so much that hey as i said i walked down the aisle to it and that when you when you're willing to do that you definitely like a song uh, and by the way, yeah, artist prerogative. I am going to choose a sixth, and I'll say that you know, if I had, because I can do this, one more song would be "Kiss Me, Baby" uh, off of the Beach Boys today, uh, when it when it finally hits that chorus, and you know, Brian sings "Kiss Me, Baby," and all of the the rest of the boys come in singing behind him. It, it, it's one of the most lush, loving, again, just sort of you know, agonizingly vulnerable moments in a '60s pop song that you're ever going to hear uh, hear kiss me baby hear the beach boys today but more importantly just check this band's albums out not just the singles that you think you already knew the surfing usas and the hit singles get these records because god this band is so great that's part one of the political beats look at the beach boys we shall return for part two our thanks to Matt Welch, former editor-in-chief, current editor-at-large at Reason, co-host of the We the Fifth podcast. Find him on Twitter at We the Fifth, at Matt Welch on Twitter. Matt, uh, we hope you'll be back for part two. Otherwise, I don't know what we'll do. <laughs> Looking forward to it more than you can possibly imagine. <laughs> That's when things get weird. Yes, uh, virtually from the start. Jeff? Um, it's time to bone up on part two. Although, again, we, you know, we're going to have to somehow. I don't think I have uh, to do that much research. No, we're going <laughs> to have to. I'm pretty prepped. <laughs> we, we mentioned your your tweet storm so often. We're going to have to find a way to kind of link that into perhaps the, yeah, uh, the sure. landing page on National Review, so people can can uh, sort through that as they as they're listening. And to the that's episode. by the way why I never delete my tweet history. All right, <laughs> you, you never know at Esoteric CD on Twitter. My name is Scott Bertram. Find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. Please subscribe to our feed for the episodes, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or go right to nationalreview.com. Click on podcasts. Find us on Twitter, too, at political underscore beats. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats. <laughs>